I'm high. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe. Um, I think the links looking good. Yeah, from a from a story perspective, I think the like BTF, BTC ETF story is kind of like the last story um, for for Bitcoin of any relevance. Um, I just don't think there's any like remaining. FUD left. There's not really any remaining, um, like black swan type of thing that can materially take it down. Um, and, uh, but no special news or anything either, but, uh, you have to imagine people are going to trade the ETF coins in their stock portfolios for the coming couple of years. So that should be fine. But, um, I think like now the more obvious gains are all alts now. Cause like, you know, even if you get to 150 K BTC, that's like about a three X from Harry. Right. So. Sefi, is there any taxation difference in the U S between trading an ETF BTC or no, physical? no identical. Okay. No, it's like, it's just straight capital gains. So the way it works here is if you trade, um, so if you were to buy uh Bitcoin at, and it doubles, you would pay, um, if you sell within one, within one year of owning it, it's what's called short-term capital gains here, which means you pay at your tax rate. So if you're relatively, um, low tax bracket individual, like, you know, sub poverty level or something, your tax is very minimal. <laughs> Say the word poor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so like if you're, if you, I mean, it's based on income here income taxes. So the, um, everywhere the thing is uh so if you're at the very highest income bracket you might be paying like 35 35 40 income tax potentially on a short-term capital gains um so this is what they talk about like you know near the end of the year and at the beginning of the year you know are people either buying or selling uh for various tax loss harvesting purposes or whatever um and some people are like, there, there's part of why the market cycles work the way they do is because there is this kind of like one year time period where like people are generally compelled to hold for tax reasons. Um, like interesting thing is like, so if you look at like the bear market um, this last year, 20, um, let's say 2023, right? Um, if you bought early in 2023, 
um, let's say January, February, March, like you could basically be selling in 2024 um, in the like mid to latter half, no problem. And you are now in long-term capital gains. Long-term capital gains are like 20%. It's very similar to dividends. So there is a um, imperative to hold for a year. It's 20% and below that, it's just your tax bracket, whatever it is, right? Um, yeah, there's there's some minimum, I think, or whatever. I'm, I don't remember. It's It's been a long since I've, time since I've had, like checked. But let's assume that like 20% if you've held a year, right? So um, the nice, so if you start early in a bear market, then you have a lot of flexibility of when to sell and what. And what happens to people that buy in, like retail comes in, like, you know, so everything starts trending and, you know, Google trends and everything starts picking up. That'll happen like, oh, maybe like middle of this coming year. So like summertime is everything starting to pump and go up. Then what happens is everyone sort of starts Google searching um, crypto and whatever, and then they start buying. And then, uh, so if they buy in the middle of 2024, like they might be held to hold all the way through middle of 2025 just for, you know, tax purposes. So, but then like 2026 starts to come along and people are like, wait a minute, I can now sell. I can, you know, I was early enough. I made a lot of gains. So it's not surprising then that like late 2025, early 2026 becomes kind of somewhat end of the run because enough people are in um, the right tax like area that they can start selling. I mean, that's a factor in the U.S. Like it, it has some role in all of this. I'm not sure how much it affects every other country and whatever, but it may, it may be similar in other places. Anyway, but like I think if we're we're early enough that like none of that really matters here, like. I think if you picked up a lot of your bags, um, even over the last few months, like or even this month, we're still early enough where by this time next year, if you wanted to sell, like, well, like this time around, yeah, 2025, you could sell and you'd still be in a good shape from a uh, tax bracket perspective. So pretty much like it makes sense to have almost all your bags packed now um, and just simply await the herd to come in and pump your bags uh, because if you sort of like wait and play around during the mid-market time one the risk is higher but two the um the tax benefits um are not nearly as good um so anyway that's sort of a general strategy this is the reason why like it makes much more sense to be in now than than later besides the fact that it's early bull market um so yeah like if you're early enough you get all the benefits like smart people make all the money because you get paid, you pay less taxes, you get the highest gain, your bags get pumped by other people. You don't have to take as much leverage because other people can take leverage to pump your bag. Um, the whole thing is like way, way, um, like in crypto, way, way suited towards like the early, early folks. And you get those exponential gains. Um, really all we've seen so far, this market is really just like the first pump, um, like of the cycle. And, um, you know, BTC has kind of um, done a bit of a run for the for the last year, and then um, like ETH is just sort of starting off and whatever. So we've got plenty of room to go. I think um, I was looking at kind of the um, like yeah, like if you kind of go to like what charts are doing good now. Um, really, you're talking um, like Link is right there up against resistance again at fifteen eighty. This is kind of 
um, if you use the fib tool that uses like $53 at the top and $4.76 at the bottom, then you basically just use the fib retracement tool. If you use this tool, um, if anyone has questions about how to use this shit, by the way, like if you haven't learned this shit by now, it's like the fuck out of here. Like, what are you doing? Like uh, this stuff's so easy. Um, just pull up your, go to tradingview.com. Um, you know, make yourself a little count there and you can really easily, um, use this thing. Uh, you can use like up to two tools for free. I believe on TradingView. you don't even have to pay for the thing. Um, if you like it, people can subscribe or whatever, but, um, I subscribe to it cause it gives some alerts and different things, but, um, you don't have to subscribe to it to make use of the most useful tool, which is the fibra trace and extension tool. So all you do is you just like on the, uh, one is I would generally in crypto tend to use the log scale as opposed to linear scale. Um, it helps you kind of view the entire price history much better. And, um, these things move in logarithmic movements. So, um, it helps you visualize better what's going on. Now the log scale though, you have to remember that like on the way up, you're, 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 you know, like as price moves up, you're getting a lot of gains with a small amount of movement on the chart on the same token. Like when things go down, you're getting a lot of loss on the way down. So log scale, you have to like get mentally used to it a little bit. But, um, once you do, I think it's like, uh, you realize that, you know, a trading range in crypto might be like between like chain link at the, you know, during the bear market was like eight, between $8 and 45 cents and $4 and 68 cents. That's a big range. If you think about it, like if you bought at eight and your bag is down to four, you're like, fuck, I'm down 50%. <laughs> but like, that's just normal. Like once you start using log charts, you're like, oh, okay, that's just whatever. 50% drop is just normal. It just doesn't excite you anymore. So yeah, you switch to log scale. And then when you use a fib extension tool, you'll notice in the settings, um, there's a button at the bottom that says fib levels based on log scale. I don't know why it doesn't do this automatically, but you have to change that. You have to click that button in your, if you're in log scale, otherwise the numbers will be all messed up. And, um, and then you can check, you can, there's little check boxes of like which fibs you want to see and all of this sort of stuff. There's a lot of little tweaks you can do to make the, uh, like, you know, so once I've gotten my sort of chart strategy on trading view sort of fixed, I don't really change it. I've been using the same basic indicators, the same basic setup for years now, and you don't have to do anything to it. Like, it's really just a matter of like, just copy paste. Um, you can even like, uh, get other people's trading view, um, setups as well. If you just simply go to, um, like if you just go to their particular charts, um, you'll find that there's like a little code that represents my trading view account and you can just pretty much copy it. And that will give you the exact same indicators, the exact same, whatever volume settings, you name it, like the volume profile. So if you subscribe to the thing, it's easy because you can just copy whatever and it gives you a pretty good look at things. Um, and then you can, I think certain subscription levels give you certain level of like alarms and stuff. You can do all sorts of alarms in trading, but you can, if you like, like moving average crosses, for example, you can set an alarm for every time the 50 day moving, 50 day moving average crosses the 200 day or something like that. So you can do all sorts of interesting alarms if you're into that sort of thing. I found that most of those types of indicators are lagging and don't help me that much. My goal is always to buy the very bottom. And like, that's the only goal you need to have <laughs> like in crypto um, and how to make sure that you have capital uh, near the bottom of whatever coin. That's really, that's pretty much the trick. 
if you master that, like everything else is mostly just nonsense. Like people use all sorts yeah. of different trading like indicators and whatever. Hmm? If we look at the link chart right now, we can see that um, in November and in December, two times we actually tried to break through that resistance. So it's the third time. That's was in correct. Yeah, this is the fourth time at the same level. So if this is a, you could call this a breakout trade, right? I mean, if it really breaks resistance, it's not going to be a lot of gains, but for a short-term trade, that's also something one could use that you just say, okay, it's well, going to the FIP level. In if crypto, usually if a breakout happens, you're usually going to move like, um, oftentimes you're going to move two fib levels in a relatively short period of time like within a couple of months so i'd say like link right now is a reasonable breakout trade which is why i actually bought more i bought substantially more at 14 bucks it's now 15.56 because like the probability now is rising um especially given the recent btc dump like Chainlink only dropped like from maybe 15 bucks to 12 bucks that's a very small amount and um especially in the alt space that's a small amount for a big btc correction so I'd say like it's showing relative strength. And if you, you, the other way, the other thing you could do is basically chart, you do link BTC and link USD. And the reason for that is like, you might be denominating your gains in USD, but at the same time, like a lot of people are trading versus Bitcoin because they consider that the sort of gold standard. And what you want to see is like, um, you want to see like good price action versus Bitcoin. And, um, you know, you want to see growth versus BTC and link has bled versus Bitcoin ever since it topped out at $53. Um, and it actually bled versus BTC on the second Bitcoin pump back in 2021. Um, yeah. like late 2021. So it actually didn't double top the way, um, BTC did. So like people were upset about links performance and were bitching about like, Oh, it's chain link selling and whatever. And it's quite possible. That's what happened. Um, I don't know that that's entirely just FUD, <laughs> but uh, anyway, the, the the thing is like in this case, like if we're fifteen eighty is the fib level for um, for Chainlink, um, if it finally breaks past, I think you'll see twenty one dollars and you'll see thirty one dollars pretty quickly, uh, which are the next levels up. Now, some other interesting things is like if you look at Chainlink's history in particular, once the two hundred day moving average was going green, like it was going positive. I mean, we're talking about like the 200 day moving average for Chainlink started in August 2019 and it remained positive, like in an uptrend all the way through uh, summer of 6, 2021. That's a pretty long run, right? So Chainlink, yeah, what's that? It's pretty impressive that it kept this momentum all the time. Yeah, but you wouldn't believe it when you were holding the coin, though. I mean, the damn thing would go from like, you know, four ninety nine to like it would drop to buck forty two, and then it would run, and the two hundred day moving average would still be in the positive, and then it would run again, and it would head off to like twenty dollars, and then it would dump all the way down to seven, right? And then so, but the entire time the two hundred day moving average was in an uptrend. And you had several times, um, a couple of times during this run-up where, um, well, one, two, three, four, five. You had five times during its run-up that it hit the 200-day moving average. And a couple of times, or three times, actually, that it dumped below in its big run. So yeah, the thing with these lagging indicators, right? So it's all lagging, exactly. And, you, and the thing is, though, it can scare the shit out of you because you're like, oh, shit. 
Like, it's you over. Know, <laughs> I bought this thing at 50 cents. It went to, you know, $4 and now it dropped to $1.50 and I didn't lock in my gains. Oh no. And then of course it runs next to like, you know, it keeps going and going and going and then it runs to like, you know, uh, you know, 15, 20 bucks or whatever. So the, <laughs> the point is like it, it does this and it scares the shit out of you and scares newbies big time. Like I remember my dad picking up chain link and he's like, I got some at 15 bucks and then the thing went to dump to like eight and I'm like, what did you do? And I'm like, I bought more. He bought more. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's cool. And then, you know, and it finally runs up to like 50 something. He gets leukemia and I sell leukemia and I sell his coins. Remember? So like, this was a, but like, but for newbies, if you watch them behave, like watch people that are not used to this kind of volatility behave, um, they'll ask simple questions about, you know, why did it go down so much? And this type of stupid questions, like these questions are irrelevant in crypto, right? Like they just do, they just go, it goes up irrationally, goes down irrationally, has nothing to do with anything, obviously. And you just have to kind of like, um, you know, sort of keep calm and carry on. What was interesting during like links run through the bear market is it barely did any like serious bear market runs, but it would go from like $5 to like $9. It would go from like 545 up to like eight. And it just sort of range bound for a year and a half. So it consolidated like 18 months uh, before finally breaking out, I believe. But it's interesting how like during that time, if you watch the timeline and what people are saying, you know, it's like, why isn't my coin pumping? And, you know, why isn't it going up? And, oh, look, it's going to zero and all this kind of thing. And, you know, legitimately, it went down to like 475 during the, the lowest point in the bear market. And that was just summer, this 2023 summer. And 200-day moving average is still trickling down, trickling down, and just sort of like just, you know, not even like flat, but not even like in an uptrend, but just simply trickling downward. And now that it's gone into uptrend, I think the, like, it would take a lot to make tr the the 200-day moving average now go into downtrend, right? Because which because the average has moved up so much with the recent run up um, and link consolidating in the like um, $15 range or whatever, and it's done this for about what three months now. Because Chainlink was one of the first to run. It ran along with Rune and Zephyr and a few other things. In fact, it, it ran before Zephyr. Huh? I mean, anything around Chainlink is not enough to actually move it below again. If there's something extrinsic, like something happening to Bitcoin or whatever, or big right. war, yeah, you never know. But I mean, I even mean, if even if Chainlink were to drop down to its like breakout level at eight forty, you know, from here, the it's still going to have an uptrend in two hundred day moving average. So it'll probably like ninja dump at some point. Like it always does, by the way, like, like <laughs> with Chainlink, it's one of these things that's like considered a quote unquote blue chip. But when you look at the volatility, you're like, holy fuck, what just happened? You know, like I remember when it went down from 20 to like seven and then, it, you know, I thought it was getting a good buy at like 13 and then it dumps back down to eight again. And you're like, holy shit, what's going on here? And then when that happens, the timeline will fill, be filled with people that'll call for lower numbers. They're like, oh no, it's definitely going to four. And the funny thing is it did like, so I remember hearing people like years ago saying, oh yeah, it's going to four, you know, it's going back down to four bucks or whatever, five bucks. And I'm like, no, -uh, no way. Like, how's it getting back down there yet? And it did actually during the bear market, get down to 476. So, so the thing is like people can call for all sorts of numbers, but the thing is, will they actually reach there? Maybe. Do you have way more upside before it hits that? Maybe. And it's just a it's just a basically a, a, a gigantic gamble. You don't really know exactly uh, where things are going to go. You don't know how long it's going to hit that low number. Like it's the entry and today you're, I don't know, you just hit your toe and you're in the hospital, right? 
Yeah, because like so I remember when Link dropped to eight in like 2020, and this was like December when you know everything was starting to run and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's like late 2020, and um, and some someone's like, "Oh no, Link fucking sucks. It's nonsense. It's going to go down to four. And then of course it runs to 53. <laughs> so like. So if you get a deep capitulation wick in crypto, like you see some mega dump for any reason, and I mean any reason, you always get at least a little bit. Like it doesn't really matter. You don't need any rationality. You don't need whatever. You're like, holy shit, that's a big dump. Like, um, you know, like even if you picked up Link, like when it dropped dumped from $53 down to $15 back in 2021, and if you held it from then till now, you're back to break even. And um, you haven't really lost anything. But if you sort of panic and start selling shit, um, you can if you feel like there's an opportunity cost somewhere else. You're like, well, I need to buy that stock over there or something. It's going up. But outside of that, it's like, um, you know, it, it doesn't really make sense. But so during the bull market of, um, you know, like after the bull market crashed, like from $53 down to $15 link, you had like. Uh, the second pump was up to like $37, but each time it would drop to 1588, which is exactly the price it's at now. And it would hit that over and over again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like, yeah, six times before it finally decides to dump down below that level and crash all the way down to like 476. Cause there comes a point at which like people that bought last bull market are like, holy shit, my profit, profits are all going to zero. And therefore they're like, I need to at least sell the fright while I can get a two X still. Right. So even people that bought it five bucks, like on the way down after the bull market's over, like it gets down to like 10 and people are going to sell because that last little vestiges of hope is, Oh, I can still clock in a two X. What the fuck am I doing? Why am I still holding on to this thing? I wrote it all the way up and all the way down. This is the reason why like the prices dump so deeply is because on the way down, people start looking and everyone here knows this, like on the way down, you're like, Oh, holy shit. I, I bought Zephyr at like 20 bucks. It went to 53. Why didn't I sell? And like, now it's at, uh, you know, whatever, 15, like, what am I doing? And so what happens is, is that anyone who's in profit, um, like almost everyone has to be wrecked in order to, that, that bought high has to be wrecked. And then kind of in, in disappointment mode for seller exhaustion to sort of fully take place. And with link, that number was that 1580 level. And so that became strong. That was like support during the, you know, bull market crash period before it capitulated. Um, and the capitulation for link was like from like $16 all the way down to like the FTX crash of about five forty. um, like it was like 548 and I picked up link then that's when I bought link and I'm like, Oh, this looks like a reasonable thing to run up to a three X or something. And I, and I was, and I was wrong in that I thought it would like pump much sooner. Like I thought maybe within six months I'd get a three X and I'd exit. But instead I became a community member <laughs> as, as it so happens. And then you, you sort of hang on to your link for who knows. And it took like 18 months. So I was, I've had to hold my link at a low price, 18 months or something like that a year, let's say. Um, low with the thinking that it could easily get back to a three X, but I just need to figure out like, I don't know when that's going to be. But if I look at other opportunities like stock market or whatever, nothing in the stock market or something was going to do a three X, like nothing obvious at least. And, um, all I had to do with Chainlink was hold. I was like, it's going to go up. It's going to go up. Just got to wait. And that's exactly what it's done now. It's like, so I'm at like maybe a two X on most of my bag as it hit like $14. Um, and then, um, but I think the $21 level is straightforward. It was also a support level 
during the um the, the previous market and then uh, again like uh once you get to around 32 more than likely to just simply fly so uh, remember you held that space in in november it's like it was an eight hour space about link and i was okay like if that feels an eight hour space well, let's this is that. how long ago <laughs> <laughs> so i bought some i sold it yeah, it was, was a nice ride you know and now i bought some back yeah, yeah. Um, no, 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 it's, it'll yeah. be fine. Like at this point, like, um, you know, with, again, with its 200 day moving average moving nicely and the fact that we had a big BTC dump and we didn't even drop back to the 200 day. So Chainlink in the past though, like has run, I, I remember like, okay, here, I'm pulling up the chart now, April, 2020, all the way to like, um, September, 2020 before it touched the 200 day moving average again. So Usually within a, within a year, you might hit the 200-day moving average for coin, like let's say once or twice, but it could hit that the 200-day after the level has risen a lot more. So for example, in this example, I think there's a high probability that you'll see selling at 21 and you're going to see selling at 30, like 1.8. These are the two, these are the FIB levels that are coming up. And what will happen is, is the next one, there's not a lot of volume resistance. And I think like people have been waiting a long time at $15 or whatever this is. So 21 is just not that much of a gain, right? It's just a, it's just a small percentage gain at this point for people who've been buying in this consolidation range. Whereas a 32 level is a 2x for all these people. So 32 is going to be like a stronger resistance because like mentally, like you've doubled your money. Uh, the new people have doubled their money. And not only that, but by then, like, let's say the $32 happens, like, let's say in a few, within a few months, then uh, the 200-day moving average by that point will have reached around current price at about 16 bucks. So is it possible that you see like a run to 32 and then you see a dump down to the 200-day moving average, which at that point will be around 16? I think that makes sense to me. So like, what a reasonable strategy there would be to sell at 32 at that fib level with the thinking that hey you know like it's going to find support again at 21 and you could probably rebuy it back at that point it's a fairly good possibility now there's a, this is a bit of a gamble though because once you get to 32 one other possibility is it just runs to prior high it just runs yeah, but people usually tend to get at some point really unreasonably bullish on everything you know and sure usually that's usually when it fizzles out because there's some big back holders. They, they're like, nah, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, but at the same time, like you, it's a trick because um, <laughs> you can oftentimes in a bullish market, you can run three fib levels very easily. So the thing is like the last, this last pump was only two fib levels. Like after the breakout at $8 and 40 cents, that was its full, this first fib off its low. It ran only two after that, and then it consolidated for like three months. So I, my guesstimation is like, yeah, it, it's an, a two more levels at this point is highly likely, but also highly likely is if it gets there, it just runs to all time high. It also depends on like what the rest of the market is doing at that time. Let's yeah. say ETH is breaking all time high at that point. Well, fuck it. Then you might as well just hold your chain link and just let it ride because you could gamble it. But what oftentimes will happen is, is that it'll keep going. Um, before any kind of sell. Now, is it rational that you'll have some sell-off at the prior high? That's rational. So like at 53 bucks, you could argue to sell some at resistance. 
And then maybe you can pick it back up at 31 at the lower fib below that. That's possible. So if you're going to gamble the thing, that's one way. If you're like, you know what, I'm just just holding for the year because I don't really give a shit about all this. Um, that's another rational strategy because like, let's say I bought some chain link at $14 uh, this month. Like I'm not going to be in a long-term capital gain scenario until January of next year. So an argument can be made that, hey, look, if I sell and I got to pay at my tax rate, which is probably like 35, 40% or whatever the fuck that number is, then the thing is I've got to, um, to, to get a benefit. I've got to get like, I need to get buy back at like a 40% retracement and then I'm break even, right? You see the problem? So it's like day trading this stuff, like depending on what the tax lot looks like, winds up being a problem. <laughs> so eventually, like if you have ETFs in this, like you could hold your primary bag and have a day trading bag. The other way you could do it is you could do it like a shorter long position. Like it's not named link. It's not called L-I-N-K. It's called like, I don't know, <laughs> link perpetual or something. So some people will use a leverage position just to day trade because it's a different position like on paper than their primary position. Leverage positions, perpetuals, and all those things don't count in the same tax lot. Um, so that's another little trick to understand about this sort of stuff. So you could keep a, a huddle bag, and then you could have like a day trading bag that's purely leveraged or some other ticker. So anyway, but these are some different tricks. But I think like I, I was debating what I'm going to do with my chain link here. And um, I did not sell it on the first run up to 15 because I wasn't sure if it was going to go 21 or 31 or go straight up. Right. So I didn't gamble it. So I became kind of like a bag holder, not bag holder, but like a holder during consolidation for the past um, from November, December, January. Three months is a pretty good consolidation period. But if you look at Link in the past as a reference point, like. Um, I remember, okay, 2020, it had a, you know, a peak at like $19, $20 to break that high again, um, and go through consolidation. It took from August, 2020 all the way to January, 2021. I mean, these are substantial periods of like six, seven months that consolidations can occur. Um, so yeah, could link just simply dip again right here and go sideways for three more months. It's quite possible. There's no guarantee it breaks out right now, um, necessarily. So I think like if I were to be a $15 buyer at this moment, I would be waiting. I would have a minimal waiting period of three months more consolidation if it dips, um, coupled with maybe buying that dip, um, and then coupled with waiting for like another two months for it to run up to 32. So these are the kind of way you have to think about this, like time-wise, it's this stuff does not move within a day or two. Like if you see people celebrating on the timeline, some of those people that are celebrating are people that like maybe bought exactly the breakout, they bought precisely with like leverage and they happen to be in a winning position, so they're celebrating. Um, there's gonna be a relatively small number of those people, I would say, that actually time that shit right, don't get liquidated and are doing great. So I wouldn't be fooled by people's P&L statements and shit. Like a lot of people will post like, oh, I'm up like 700% or some shit on my like leverage position. Yeah, that one leverage position that did well, you're, you're posting. But who knows how many times they got liquidated to get that one, one run. American, Afghanistan, you are killer. 
ce word joueur de, de, de Michael People People That's really good advice. Um, I'm going to make sure that I use that for my next trading advice. Um, I'm going to put that in a notebook. And uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so where were we? Uh, so, but yeah, I, I think like if you, I think Link's a, Link's a good like uh, sort of chart learning example because um, you can get a good sense of like how much time it takes for movements to happen. Um, and, uh, how it like conforms pretty nicely with fib levels, which is also cool. Um, so you can learn a lot from it. The higher the volume and the higher the market cap, something is the more it tends to conform to fib levels, um, more cleanly. So this is why like a lot of people, if they're trading on levers, they tend to trade stuff that trades with high liquidity, high volume, because some of these levels tend to be a little bit more predictable, but like, um, if you are a leveraged trader on Chainlink during the bear market, like it tried to break the $8.40 level one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. And then the ninth time it finally like um, got to the point where it um, like headed off. So like, so the problem is if like every time it broke out that level, you decide you're going to take on leverage and ride it. You would, you would have had to sell within only like, you know, a 50 cent jump in link price in order to have made any money. Um, and some fraction of those people just simply got liquidated because you'll, you'll, if you look at the chart, you'll notice that like you had a big dumps right after each time there's an attempt at breaking those levels. And, um, each time that was probably just leverage traders getting liquidated again and again and again, the whole bar, bar, bear market. So, um, one other thing, Chainlink seems to me like a, a company that has the chance to actually convert into, let's say the first really profitable business model um, based on blockchain tech, you know, it's mm -hmm. like they really have something there. And I like it that it's, it's, there's so much smoke and mirrors, right? So much dreams that never come true. And but they're really doing something. They're putting it to use in a, in a proper way, you know? So I think uh, even if you're not, not trading it, if you're just holding it, I think it's a, it's a pretty safe bet. Yeah, I think of, of the companies that have produced something that TradFi is likely to actually use. Um, Chainlink seems like it's the closest to that. Um, I don't know like what kind of limitations that Swift and some of these other companies have in terms of implementation to different things. Um, you, know, you know, it's always hard to tell like how much of this stuff is, you know, uh, you know, technical miracles that, you know, aren't going to actually, you know, ex <laughs> become a thing. Um, so yeah, it, it can be tough to tell for sure, like what's going to be just vaporware for a long time and what's actually going to be adopted. Um, cause there's the thing, like sometimes tech might be built, but is that tech actually going to be adopted by those companies or whatever? It's hard to tell for sure. Um, uh, by the way, if you didn't get in on some Litecoin, it's at a good price at the moment. It's a 69 bucks, pretty much exactly where I got it. It is retesting um, a fib level uh, as support, and it looks like a good, pretty good spot if someone wants a little bit of Litecoin to uh, run to the next levels. Um, let's see here. Um, what else is going on? Um, <laughs> Sunny uh, from Osmosis posted some negativity about Neutron. He's like, the team doesn't fucking contribute to anything. But then on top of that. They just simply like 
you know, it's just another liquidity sink sort of, and um, they tend to poach developers from other, um, other organizations, which um, doesn't really help grow the pie. <laughs> so he had this kind of like negativity toward it. Um, I don't know if that affects price at all or anything, but um, Neutron's definitely like in a position where it could retrace quite a bit and uh, kind of have a correction for a few months. Anyway, um, I don't have too much Neutron anyway, but just kind of a side thing. Um, what else? Um, Fetch is looking reasonably strong um, where it is now. It's kind of like that indecision area. It's like it went to 78 and then it dropped to like uh 57 cents and then it's like 50 percent of the way back up to the prior high um quite a few coins are in that position where they're kind of in decision mode they're right in the middle they could run or they could dump big time really hard to say um yeah. so definitely i just don't like that it didn't break above the that level you know it's kind of fishy because uh, which one yeah this, the high yeah, yeah there was this recent high and we just nibbled and we never made it above it, you know. Even if it just went a little bit higher than that, it would would have been good. But like that, looks like yeah. it's like you have this pre BTC run, and now everything else starts to run, which hasn't run. But Fed's gonna miss out. It's just gonna stay where it is. Maybe it's gone a little bit higher. Maybe it's seventy five or something. And then when there, whenever there's a dump, it might just dump back to forty. You know. Yeah, there there were many daily candles that hit like the 75 cent level like maybe a half dozen times so uh it appears that you know somebody's selling at that level it's probably like it could be team selling it could be whoever but um like what so what could be happening there is because like fetch was getting close to its prior high um the market a market maker who needs to or or, or, a, or a seller who needs to sell without dumping the chart has to sell with a limit order. And where is, where are you going to have like strong, um, like what kind of level are you going to have strong, um, buying pressure? It's near prior high. So that's not a bad place to put a, a sell order with the thinking that a bunch of people are going to, you know, buy at that level and you can sell to them. So Yeah, it has that kind of look about it. It's like this kind of flat top look that, you know, that's found when you have like large limit orders and stuff in that area. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's kind of makes you nervous in terms of the, the look of the thing. Um, yeah, but anyway, it, it could run again, but I it wouldn't surprise me at all if it drops back down to like the 40 cents level. So I think Fetch is interesting again, maybe at 40 cents. That's where it also that happens to be where the 200 day moving average is almost reaching. So a correction, I think, would be would make the fetch chart look better. Also, if you just look at the curve, it's like it's almost like arching over like a McDonald's arch, <laughs> you know, and it's no longer in that like parabolic rise anymore. It has that look that it's going to roll over and kind of like the the trend downward. But I could be wrong. It's not the not the prettiest looking chart now for fetch. So uh, anyway. Sometimes you gotta like change your mind if if things aren't looking hot. Um, Akash to some degree is in that same boat, honestly. Um, when I mentioned selling it, it was like 320 or something. It dropped to about 269, is doing like a little complacency shoulder looking thing at two dollars ninety cents. 
but that thing has like a 200 day moving average at a dollar 28 so i think the probability of a dump to that level is pretty high because akash hasn't touched its 200 day moving average since um since like the middle of 2023 right it's like had a serious run of just non-stop run so it wouldn't surprise me at all if it cracks big time while other mm-hmm. things run you know, and um, I think it was tenth of December. I bought it like a dollar seventy a cash, and I sold it like three twenty. So it was a pretty good, pretty yeah, good run. yeah. It's yeah. a good run. That's a good run. So I think like all you have to, yeah, in that one, like the odds of further upside, yeah, sure, it has some, but at the same time, the probability of a correction increases. The longer the time frame that goes between when a coin like uh, touches its two hundred day moving average or something like that the and it runs just too aggressively for too long the probability that you're going to have a drop starts rising exponentially so it's and it's not linear it's exponentially so like the as the price goes up the number of people that look at that and go oh shit my bag's worth a lot of money i need to sell that number starts to rise psychologically right and there's like a breaking point after which people are like fuck this i'm selling <laughs> like you know and, and uh so you you have to be so i think akash would be fine again um you know, maybe if it hits, oh, I don't know, I, even as low as a dollar twenty, like that would be a, a level that might make sense. And the market cap also at that level would be a lot more attractive in terms of like yeah, it's not so over overvalued. You know, with Akash, I actually think um, it doesn't really matter where it is. As soon as some bullish AI news are coming out again, I'm just gonna <laughs> buy it again. You know, because it's just like. It's just it's just benefiting from that whole thing, right? If there's something, whatever, you know. Yeah, like, I, don't, I don't know how much I don't know how much people are going to use Akash for like running AI models and stuff. I guess it's possible, but um, you see that, that that's the point. If it doesn't really matter, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's more narrative. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just like uh, something with AI in the name. But man, like. <laughs> I mean, GPT-4 was like a pretty impressive thing. Diffusion stuff is pretty impressive. You're going to see a whole lot of AI-related movies and things come out soon. Um, you're going to see a lot of scams regarding AI-related like imitation of people and all sorts of shit's going to happen. I just don't know if like... I, I don't know exactly how that narrative is going to play in people's heads as far as an investing perspective. Or, you know, is a lot of that pump already baked in? Uh, There's actually something in the make right now where people are not really aware of when it comes to AI. It's from a different angle. It's basically in robotics. So they have these virtual, uh, let's say, realities where they basically train the AIs to do stuff, right? So you, you just don't have the time to actually have a real robot arm taking a mug or pouring some coffee into that mug or some stupid shit like that, right? So mm-hmm. what they do is they have a simulation environment where they train the oh, yeah. AI in virtual reality, right? So it's all, it's, it's kind of, it's absolutely crazy. So yeah, I think there's a guy that calls it like LMM, like large yes, motion yes. model or something most like Most people are not aware of what's going on there. So basically they're using the matrix to train the AI to do stuff in the real world in the end of the day, right? Which is amazing. Const- at, amazing the same, at the same time, some of those things like are not going to make people think, "Ooh, I need to buy crypto." They're going to think, "Oh, I need to go to the store and buy a robot." <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I get it. We'll I get see. it. But as soon as you have some results from that, you know, some 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 breakthroughs, and it just has to be something stupid like a 
whatever a robot that can really walk very well you know just yeah to me it's like whatever results in people searching crypto and ai together in the same search right (laughs) because that's how they get to the newbie that's how they get to an ai related coin of some kind they're not like all the twitter people that follow twitter narratives those people have already bought for the most part like maybe some late you know late laggards that are buying the tops and stuff but uh yeah i mean i think like whatever causes the newbie to come in next year and like search AI, I suppose there's still possible um, narrative potential there for sure. Anyway. um, Oh, McLovin, were you trying to say something? Have a question about something? Peace. Hello. What's up? What's up? I just want to say something like, do you see the injective chart? It's kind of bullish. You know, mm-hmm. spam 2.3%, something like that. Yeah. Um, well, now that you're a, um, a injective shiller, I suppose we need to look at it. Um, let's see. It's um, It has this pretty much the exact same chart as Fetch. Um, it basically has, um, like, it's way above its 200-day moving average, um, which means it's uh, at some point due for a pullback. Fetch's 200-day moving average, by the way, is only at 15 bucks, so that would be the warning here. <laughs> like, if it corrects, it'll correct a lot. Um, and it's done so in the past. Now, it could also be that it goes sideways for, like, I don't know, the next six months and allows the 200-day moving average to pick up alongside it. That I mean, may not dump as much that much. Um, hard to tell, though. There's not that much stuff to do on injective chain, so it's like, eh. You never know like what <laughs> what that means in terms of coin price appreciation. Just like every other chart Something, in crypto, you know, the volume is dropping off. Hmm? Uh, you see there is an upgrade going on. Like it's uh, update, successfully upgraded. Uh, it's injective last three days ago and the whole on something, something like the main net up, upgrade and it's bring lots of things like you know the Oracle feed and the RWA model and the new burning system mechanism and lots of things happening in injective and you can just, you just need to see yeah, that maybe but n- none of those things really like help the user experience immediately right they don't have any it's not going to suddenly have new users because of those things so uh, either way like if you're getting into injective i would say so long as you are prepared to also buy at $13 um, which is sort of like where the 200-day moving average region is, and then there's like two fib levels down. Uh, so long as you're prepared for that, I think it's fine. Like you know, it's um, at the very least. New, yeah. at the system, very least yeah, it's new. But a reta- uh, the the other thing is at the very least a retest of its breakout area of twenty-five dollars would be a great place to pick some up. So I would say a good place to buy Injecta would be 25 bucks and 13 bucks. It's now at 38.78. So those are kind of like the levels that um, during a correction, one might consider picking some up. Um, so anyway, it's also possible it just heads off to $59 and um, the $90 FIB um, and it could just keep running. It's possible. Um, yeah. I'm kind of having good feeling, you know, that it's kind of like having the Solana type of run. Yeah, yeah. It very well could. Like, so usually, so $25 was its prior high. It be, it broke that. And then three Feb level, two Feb levels above that is $91. And three above that is 171 But remember, the market cap starts getting bigger and bigger. The harder it is to reach those higher numbers. So 
Um, you know, if you talk about like 173, that might be the level for injective for maybe the whole season. Like that could be the top. Um, what's the market cap now, injective? Um, remind me here. I of three billion or something like that. INJ is sitting at, yeah, 3.2 billion. That's correct. So historically, like this type of thing running to a 10 billion, which puts it at like the $92 level would be very reasonable. Like it, th these things do that very often. So, uh, like if you look at the history of crypto, this is a pretty common thing. So I, I think like $90 is a good target. I think if you ran, if you rode injective to $90, um, like to me, that's a good enough run where I probably wouldn't hold it any further. Like <laughs> I would sell it and get out and go find something else or just wait for the next bear market. So if you've done really well with it, cause you bought really low, um, yeah. trying to find the exact top is just basically a foolish game. Um, yes. Yes. Anyway. So just, uh, cons consider that too. Um, anyway. Uh, Powers, what are you up to? Another one. Just a cold day here in Texas, working from home. Okay. Free, freezing your ass yeah, off. Yeah, man. Just trying to stay inside and warm. Yep. 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 Um, let's see. What else is happening in the news? Uh, anyway, any anything from you, or do you want me to just go on to the next thing? <laughs> I was I was just going to ask you uh, something yep. about. Uh, the 200 day moving average. So there's the, the exponential one, the EMA, and then like the, the simple moving average. Um, yeah. I just uh, had a question uh, maybe on like what you think, like wh where would you use the simple one versus the, the EMA? Um, I think it, so here's the thing, like number one, none of these things tell you anything about, exactly when you're going to hit any of these levels. So I don't think it matters what you use. Um, I think the most commonly used things tend to be the simple 200, simple 50. It's commonly used in TradFi and stuff. So the reason to use them is because other people are using them. And that's the only reason to bother. Like it doesn't matter otherwise. There's nothing more predictive of one versus the other. And the reason why it helps to know that other people are using them is that like, you know, they, then you're seeing sort of the same thing they are. And you can try to put yourself in their mind mindset, right? This is what you're trying to do. You're trying to figure out what other people think is going to happen when it reaches these levels. Not so much that it's going to tell you exactly when to buy. Because a lot of times you'll hit things like the 200 day moving average and dump way below it too. Um, and similarly, that could be true of like EMAs or whatever. So uh, yeah, it's, if you have something that works for you, just go for it. But I don't think there's like... There's not something, quote unquote, like better or worse or something like that. OK, uh, last thing, though. Um, so I, I heard you talking about. Uh, and, and by the way, some people like a lot the 21 day moving average or 21 day EMA. That is popular in crypto as well. Uh, I don't know why, but like whatever. Like, But that's another one you can use as a, like the 21 200. Um, or the 21 versus 100 uh, with the EMAs. And there, there's different people have done different things. I don't know. I'm not sure there's a great rationale for one or the other. But the, the main thing is the way you use this is, you say, okay, I have this price history of some coin. And look, this thing has corrected to these levels a couple of times um, in its past. And probably this season will do the same thing. 
And you may not know when that will happen, but you at least know where that number is at any given moment. So like, for example, Chainlink today, the 200-day moving average is at $10. So if it decides to correct, you know, it's done so like to the 200-day numerous times in its history. So it does make sense that like it could drop all the way to 10 bucks. It's more for you to just like prepare your mind for that dip. Um, You don't know it's going to hit it though and when. Right. So it's 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 not predictive. Um, it's just for you to kind of build a mental model than anything else. I think when people say, OK, a coin has it has the 100 day EMA as support. That doesn't mean anything like people say this stuff like there's this magical support there that everyone's using that. And therefore, that's going to be it's like special thing. I mean, in your head, it's support, but that's about it. Any coin can drop below these support levels anytime. So is that why, like, sometimes you see those reactions off those uh, moving averages? I think it's just random. I think it's just random. Like, if you, you could use any moving average and you'll find action that looks like it's off of those levels. So I, I think you end up spinning whatever narrative in your head based on what you happen to notice on there. I wouldn't look at that line as something that people are specifically trading off of to get you that result because if that were the case right like every time it hit that line it would go up right but that's not the case mm-hmm. Sometimes it dumps below what does that mean then so it's just randomness you don't want to be it's like uh nasim taleb's book don't be fooled by randomness basically <laughs> like it looks like it's something but it not isn't necessarily so yeah on the way up things pull back you know over and over again they put higher lows and then as they do this they make it look like they're hitting these curves and stuff that's not necessarily guaranteeing that like you're going to be fine if you buy there or something like that. Um, yeah. It, like one thing you can use though, is if you get dumps in crypto where you're way below the 200 day moving average, um, those are great buys, especially if they happen very quickly. Um, so when you have deep, deep capitulation wicks, you're like, Holy shit. You know, my coin went from $52 to $15. Usually you can buy that kind of giga dump, um, especially when you're down like 70% or something like that. You can almost always buy those levels. And there's usually good upside at that point. Even if you're going to do an immediate sell, like it's going to pump again, you're going to sell immediately. Uh, Dead cat bounces and stuff and like complacency shoulders off of bull market tops do this a lot. Take Chainlink, for example. It went to $53 during like the first like Bitcoin peak last year or in 2021, I'm sorry, last cycle. It dropped all the way down to 15, uh, 15.88 within like, uh, this was during um, that first kind of like dump. It did that within how many months? Let's see, within one month, within one month, it goes from 53 to $15. So how much support is there really? It literally broke through every EMA and every line you can imagine. It dropped like three fibs. It dropped like, um, you know, it just looks terrible. And then if you bought that, though, it immediately jumped back up to $31 within. So you got a 2x within a month. So an interesting thing about bear market tops is one of the reasons why you want to sell in that zone where like things are getting a little bit too hot is because um, the the dumps can be so substantial and you can easily find an entry for like a complacency shoulder pump. Um, and then what will happen is, is like 
the price will pop up and it will make it, and it made it above 200 day moving average a couple of times, few times, and then it dumped below and then it couldn't sustain. And then after that, it just stays below the 200 day moving average for, I don't know, like a year or something. Right. So you get these kind of moments where if you get a deep wick down, you typically should pick a little bit up, even if it's for a sell, even if you only make 25%, like just the mega dumps in crypto, you buy them. Even if you make 25% gain, sell them and get out. Who cares? You made your 25%, you're out of there. I mean, not, yeah, 25% gain, you're out of there. You don't necessarily, so there's a lot of opportunities like that in crypto where if you have a gigantic dump, get a little bit, um, ride it up a little bit, maybe even 10%, sell it and you're out. That's usually a bear market strategy as well. Um, now it's just a lot easier to just buy and hold uh, most things because you're probably going to fumble the bag. Um, using a bunch of indicators and shit. That's the reason why like, um, I've moved away from using momentum indicators at all, um, except for like the basic 50 and 200 day moving average, just to get an eyeball of where things are. Because A, they're not predictive, and B, they fool you into thinking they are. That's the danger. Using indicators that are lagging and looking at them day after day after day will alter your mind. Like you need to understand how this works. Like it'd be almost like if you eat, look at a picture of a steak over and over and over again every day. And you're like, hmm, I'm in the mood for steak. Like, you know, that's, a, it's the same concept. Like you have to be careful with the indicators you use when you trade because they will modify your brain, literally. Like it'll modify the way you think, it'll modify the way you, what buttons you push when you trade and all that sort of thing. So this is why I've gotten away from all that. I've just largely stuck with um, like a little bit of volume profile thing and, really just, um, I don't even use red and green candles anymore. That's why I use that blue and yellow trend indicator, um, a bit more so that if it's in the yellow, I'm like, Ooh, I, I think I'm in an area where I can start buying. And if it's in the blue positive trend indicator, um, the longer that stays blue, the more likely I should sell. Um, but I don't really bother with like daily blue and green candles and all that shit. None of that candle trading is predictive at all. Um, it's just not very, like, it's not very accurate. It doesn't really tell you very much of anything. People look at like candle patterns and shapes and all that shit. All of it's just randomness. It's just fooling yourself into thinking that you're achieving something that you're really not. And um, I think the key with crypto is to get the meat of the move. Like if you buy during really bearish times and you're able to get like, you know, a five to 10 X on the way up, wonderful, get that and then get out. Um, but like trying to predict you know, nuanced day trading with your stupid like leverage tra trades is just a much harder way to make money in this space. And probably like for most people, they're losing money. Um, in fact, it, they have to be losing money for this to even work. Because like, think about Chainlink. It went to $53 and like retraced to $4.76. The largest volume bar in Chainlink's history was like the largest volume area traded was in the seven to $9 range. What does that mean? That means that like a whole bunch of people bought, and then that actually, I take that back. That isn't exactly right. Um, Cause that's the current volume bar. But if you look at the historic number, which is back when Chainlink was below like five bucks, the $3 to $5 range was when a lot of people bought Chainlink. That was when it first did its first pump. And then it, for first retracement down to like a dollar or something and a bunch of people bought in right there. That was back in 2019. So like as the thing pumped in the bull market all the way to 
the price came all the way back to 476, which was the literal breakout of the 2020, um, like beginning of the bull run of, for Chainlink, right? It was the first breakout run um, after the first like consolidation. So that tells you that like practically everybody who bought in in that region who was in profit sold on the way up somewhere and then eventually sold on the way down or something and price came all the way back down to 476. Um, that's a pretty bearish chart as far as like adoptions concerned. But if you bought in Chainlink at 50 cents and you wound up at the end of the, the next bear market at $5 and you held the entire time, you were still at a 10x, right? You may not have been at 100x anymore, but you're still at a 10x. And uh, so those people that held all through the last two years, they're not going to sell now because like, why would they? They're going to wait for like Chainlink to be like 100 or 143 or something like that. Um, so like the swing trading over multiple years is just, um, a more straightforward way to get like a 10 or a hundred X, um, especially if you buy during a bear market, than it is to sort of go mid market and then play on leverage, which is exactly what people will do. They'll be like, Ooh, chain links made to 15. If the run is beginning, the turn day moving average is an uptrend momentum's looking good. I want to go day trade. So they'll go on KuCoin or wherever, and they'll start, um, they'll start uh, putting in that 5X leverage and stuff to, you know, ride the pumps. Um, the thing is, like, if you bought, like, at $7, you know, you're already sort of, like, in good position. What do you need leverage for? So you just simply let other people pump your bags, right? They take 5X leverage, you know, pump up the bag, and then you, you don't have to do any risk at that point. So I think it's still early. Like, I think right here, this is the first breakout so far for all coins of the... Um, new bull run, I would say. Um, you know, things have not really gotten too heated. Like even Ethereum, I think like if you bought it sub 1000, um, um, I bought some Ethereum at like, I don't know, a thousand. I sold it at 1800 or something. I just sort of rode that move, the, the, the mega dump and then rode it back up or, you know, during that, uh, FTX crash time. And I just bought some and sold it. But like, um, even Ethereum is like, it dropped to like 900 and now it's at about 2,500. That's not a huge gain. It's like, a, you know, two and a half X, right? So um, we're, we're talking about being fairly early if we believe that there's going to be a substantial bull market. Um, but like another general thing is too, like the market caps of these things are much bigger now. And these are stabilized market caps. These are not like, so when ETH went from like $85 to, you know, $5,000, that was like a lot easier move because there's not as much market depth. When you have a big consolidation, it's much harder to move to the same market cap numbers, right? It, it might realistically take billions and billions of dollars to show up to move the price, right? Whereas before it didn't take real billions. It took, took like, it just took like, a, it's like market artifact, right? It's just bid ask, just, you know, you have everyone bidding and not enough people selling and the price just goes up. It'd be like me trading Pokemon card over and over again, running it up to a million dollars in a month. It's not really worth it. So the second time that happens, so after a dump and then consolidation, it's much harder to move the price. Sefi, there's one thing that uh, I think a lot of people forget when it comes to the circulating, or let's say the outstanding shares, if it's stocks or the circulating supply, how this changes sometimes over time, because mm -hmm. you can't see it directly from the chart, but it makes a big difference. I, I always like to point out that Riot, 
platforms, right? These minor, these miners, these guys in, in 2018, I think they hit like $45 or something. Right. And then, and then they dumped actually to something like 50 cents during the COVID crash, mm -hmm, 50 mm -hmm. cents. I mean, it's, they, your position was reduced to a percent, right? Yeah, you lost a zero. You went to zero, basically. <laughs> yeah, you basically went to zero. But then in, within, I don't know, it was like a, a year, it pumped 150x. Mm -hmm. So it went up to like over, I think it was close to $180. I think it was $80 was the top. Yeah, let me see. Yeah, yeah but you know what these are? The, the mining stocks are basically, um, they are a leveraged play on Bitcoin without yeah. having to pay for leverage. Yes, but that's now basically the point, what they are. Point, point I'm trying to make here is since yep. then, so they, they have dropped and they have dropped to like three dollars, so they haven't dropped that bad, but it's still like super ugly, right? Mm -hmm. But what people don't realize is since then they have been diluting their share base, right? So they have offering new shares. They I think they they collected something like 800 i can't remember the exact figures it's like 300 million 240 mm -hmm. million so they have authorized like 800 million and they got like 200 something million on the stock market anyway so there's a big dilution going on there uh, if people don't know that and they just look at the price action and they think the thing is going to pump pump up back up to 80 they're shitting themselves it's not going to go there right so it's it's, right. Impo it's important to actually also know that metric on on the coins right so if you have proof of work that's pretty cool because you have a constant like uh, inflow of coins and it's let's say it's it's like with the bitcoin halving well you have some steps other coins like zef they are yeah more, it's a uh, it's a measurable it's a measurable it's a me consistent thing yeah yeah it's a consistent thing with uh, proof of work you really have to look into all these unlocks and how the vesting is done right so if you don't know that huh, god bless well, you well with zephyr is a good example um the first run like so the last run was from a dollar 80 or dollar 90 all the way to 52 dollars so the first time it runs there's not that much liquidity on the exchange and it's fairly easy to run it up, you know, turbo like this and get really high numbers. Like the, the, the illiquid coin, like early on low market cap is easy to pump it. And at that time there was about two and a half million Zephyr in circulating supply. Now we're at 2.9 million because the hash rate's quite high. So, so things that keep price down a bit are one is the, the number of coins outstanding have increased. Number two is the market depth, uh, on the exchanges has increased. Uh, the number of exchanges listed on has increased. And when you have all these things combined, like it just makes it harder to move the price. So whereas like, let's say, for example, the last time, maybe let's just say 20,000 individuals were buying the coin. Um, we might need to, to move this another 10 X. We mean may need to have like um, either the same people putting in more money or a lot more new individuals coming to buy the coin. So you, you might have a situation where it really is that you need another, you know, you might need another 5x worth of people spending even more money to get the price of the coin to move. But the thing is, um, the market cap has sort of been locked in at a higher valuation. So is it likely to go back down to a dollar eighty again anytime soon? Probably not, especially not in a bull market. So all you have to do is wait for the coins to get bought up, miners to hodl, and um, more users to show up. And that's just how the Ponzi-nomics of, you know, crypto stocks, whatever it is, happens is that more users have to show up. Otherwise, who's buying the coin? 
And, um, and once that happens, then you can see the whole thing run up and, um, how long exactly it takes though, can vary a lot. I think with Caspa around this market cap, it took approximately three months to get to from its first pump high to its uh, break of that same uh, high. So right now our high for Zephyr is 52 or so. To break that, it's already been two months. I think it was like November, well, no, November 21st, December. So no, January 21st would make it um, two months. So we're not quite there yet. And then you might expect then by February, March, theoretically, to get back to prior high if it follows um, what CASPA did. Will it follow that? I don't know. Because the thing is, like, there's some... To, to compare the two, that CASPA may have had a lot more sort of early attention. The second thing is it moved in a bear market, which made it such that like there was not a lot of other coins people are paying attention to. So everyone jumped into the runner. Uh, so now a lot more coins are moving. So there's attention is diverted. On the other hand, in a bull market, a lot more liquidity flows in. So maybe it doesn't matter. Um, maybe the that's an advantage so big that you know, maybe it doesn't make any difference. Um, you know, the, the fact that other coins are also pumping or whatever, who knows? So, uh, you know, it's not a, a perfect comparison, but as a basis for comparison, it wouldn't surprise me if Zephyr just started running immediately, or even if it took like two or three more months to consolidate and then sort of eventually pick up and go. Um, very, very hard to tell for sure. But I know like what I've just been doing is basically picking some more up um at these dips so i i got some at uh let's see december you know late december when it dipped i bought again at the early january um drop and then i got some more the last two days um at right around 17 to seventeen fifty, i was able to pick up some more that's kind of where i've added so i, I just will add these dips and if it goes down a bit lower um if it goes on any lower, like if it's now, oh, there's another piece of news. So for Zephyr, um, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but if you go to network, um, if you go to network.zephyrprotocol.com, you'll notice that like a bunch of stable dollars are printed. Did you guys see that this morning? So now we're, we were at like 1,050,000 Zephyr stable dollars, and now we're at 1,550,000. So 500,000 coins are printed recently. So now the reserve ratio for um, Zephyr is, uh, for the ZSD, is at 928%. So if Zephyr's price drops just a bit where the reserve ratio drops below 800%, you can convert your Zephyr to ZRS, which has really high yield. So, uh, and that's like real yield. So the reality is like, there's going to be almost a floor price now. So whoever printed that ZSD, I don't know if it's an exchange or what, probably an exchange if I had to guess, because I believe there's some, maybe a DEX of some sort being opened possibly in the near future. Um, there's some rumblings of that for late January, but whoever did this sort of created a floor price for Zephyr because number one, who the hell is going to sell their Zephyr if they can get ZRS? Maybe some people will, maybe some miners or whatever, but it'll also put a pressure into buying it because when Zephyr to ZRS becomes popular, um, that's a really nice, thing to own and i think that puts the floor price so i think the zsd where it is now if we if someone mints another five hundred thousand, then zs then zephyr is definitely undervalued 
at 17 bucks, and I think we'll run. So th- apparently the la- same thing happened last time. Back when Zephyr was like six bucks or whatever, and people started printing ZSD for whatever reason, then everything pumped. So I think there is a possibility that there'll be some correlation here. Either way, like it's an interesting metric. Um, and I would say like if Zephyr hits mm, like 14 to 15 bucks, probably right in that range, you'll be able to convert to ZRS finally. So I'm going to, I put, I put some alarms in for that to, uh, (laughs) to try to get some ZRS if I can. Um, I'll probably convert all of my, everything I can, I'll probably convert to ZRS if I can, because I I tend to be a long-term holder of this like years or whatever. So it'd be very, very nice to get ZRS, um, something to watch for anyway. Yeah. You're not going to convert all of it. (laughs) What's that? Yeah, I think there won't be enough slots for you to convert all. I, yeah, probably not. It probably won't be. We'll try. Like, Let's see what happens. If, if you check the Discord, court, there was like some guys were arguing. Yeah, the last time it dipped below, I tried to. <laughs> yeah, it's very some. difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. But um, but if Zer, if Zeph drops low enough, like ten bucks, like there's a real big gap then it becomes really easy to convert. Um, but if it doesn't, I don't think so, which is why I think it's going to be hard. Like people that have ZRS now are probably defending their position by preventing the price from going any lower <laughs> because they want to keep, because it doesn't help them to dilute the ZRS shares too much, right? Because they, they're, getting, they're getting crazy yield right now. So like, I think this is sort of like um, a theoretical bottom for the, for the coin price. Um, anyway, it, yeah. So if you, if you can pick some up like in that 14 to $15 range and actually convert it to, that'd be pretty awesome. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen. And people are paying like top dollar for the ZRS too. Like if, if um, I don't remember ZegX or no KYC, but some people are trying to, are selling small quantities of it and people are paying um, a premium for that. Like I'm not sure if they're paying double or what they're paying, but quite a bit. Interesting. It's interesting dynamic anyway, like the game theory behind it. Do you think this is a phase that economically it's uh, explained that is an accumulation phase? Do you think it's January and February is the accumulation phase of this crypto market? Yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. Like, especially if anything you have that has already run and is now like pulled back, then yes, that would be pretty much what they what you consider that. And I would say like, Real accumulation for a lot of crypto diehards begins at um, probably like 60% retracement and below for, um, yeah, in a, during a bullish market. So, yeah, between 60 and 80% retracement is a good place to pick up stuff, I would say, um, if you can get it. Like, and, you know, if you follow more coins, you'll find those deeper retracements. Um, yeah. Really bullish coins, though, don't retrace as much. So that's the other thing. And Bitcoin halving is coming like April 22nd. And it, this is, no, you know, it, it, this year is not going to have with some kind of bloodbath or something like that. And this is a short time price correction. I think for March and again, March from the March, we are going to see some, some kind of price, price hike, you know, some kind of green candle. Or I like see that. some, I see some macro accounts posting some stuff about how, um, like M2 money supply has dropped to levels like it was during the Great Depression. Uh, and uh, like the previous, um, some of the hallmarks, like pivoting, Fed pivoting to lower interest rates has been 
like what happened right before the 2008 financial crisis in the United States. So if there's going to be some kind of um, like not black swan, but like really significant effect on the general macro markets, it's probably going to come from commercial real estate in the U.S. or it's going to come from uh, the banking sector in the U.S. I don't know how much of a risk factor that shit is. I've like... I think a lot of it's an uncharted territory because like Fed is doing shit that never did before and stuff. It's just nonstop shenanigans. So I don't know what's going to happen. We're at like record high money market participation also, which is an interesting thing. People are not leaving their money in banks. They're putting it in money market. It's like, I think record high money market um, utilization right now. Uh, I know, uh, you know, I, I tend to use that for example. So yeah, yeah. you're really in a weird position where if a dump happens, if a dump's going to come from somewhere, it'll probably come because of fear in global markets as it retain, pertains to those two things, I would guess. Um, this year, you can you are going to see some uh, rate cuts and you like one or two rate cuts, I think may be possible. But 2024 is all a bullish. I think 2024 is a bullish year for the crypto. Could could be, yeah. But what I'm saying, but usually even during bullish years, you have big pullbacks, right? So if the question is like, when are those dumps going to happen? Um, they might be driven by those some sort of big news events because that happened. Remember in uh, in two like uh, well, Bitcoin came out around the time of the first financial crisis in 2008, um, and like after that, um, you know, during the COVID dump you know, crypto dumped big time, right? So crypto does strongly correlate with major market moves in the macro space, whether it's stocks or whatever. So if you get a dump there, the probability of dumping crypto is pretty high. So you just have to keep an eye out for those things. Anyway, Nickel, you were saying, go ahead. You can interrupt any time, by the way. Just We're just going on. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. How are you, man? Good, good. What are you doing? Uh, nothing. I just lost my Bybit account. You lost it? Why? Yeah, I don't know. I just logged in and they said it's banned. And then I again tried. Uh, I tried to reach the customer support and they said it's banned. Then they say it's invalid information. I think it's gone. I don't know. Did you lose I lost all my Yeah, I lost all my... Hmm, how much did you, did you have? A lot of money on there or what? Uh, like two grand. Okay. All right. Well... That's a substantial amount. But anyway, so yeah, like what happened? You were not using a VPN or something or what? I was I was just sleeping. I just woke up and I just logged out. And it says your account is banned. Were you on a VPN? No, no. Um, oh, wait. Is it legal in your country? Yes, it is. Oh, that's weird. Why would it be banned then? Strange. I don't know. They are... I abuse them a lot, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I I just went to the like official handle and abused them a lot. Like, oh, okay. It it was the last money that I had. So. <laughs> <laughs> you abuse them after, or before you lost your money. After. After. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. I did. Hmm. Um. Yeah, that's so I, I'm not spending too much time on fringe exchanges um, anymore anyway, but Bybit's pretty big. I'm not sure why they would do that. Yeah, it was very slick. Like 
if you want to trade like it feels very a very soothing experience over there but, uh, they fucked me over hmm. did you have like fake kyc information or something or what nothing nothing fake everything is legit <laughs> oh well. uh, anyway. just a quick one you know india's banned like 20 30 exchanges in the last few weeks right well, at least I would notice yeah. them. So, are you 100% sure your country hasn't banned the use of that? No. Uh, Bybit is available in the Play Store. So, it's not. Which country uh, are you I was, India. Yeah, I think Bybit's another one. I think they ban most crypto uh, accounts in India. Yeah. Yeah, KuCoin and Binance with the major. No, it's a fake information. This is nothing happened like that. I am still using. Oh, sorry, I'm from Hawaii. Mm hmm. Hawaii. <laughs> Shut up, man. <laughs> like, anyway, um, so yeah, like there, there's who knows what's happening in the behind the scenes as far as like, yeah, what IP addresses they're allowing and not allowing. But yeah, definitely changes are happening there. Who knows? But yeah, VPN through like Switzerland or something if you're going to use these things. You can try. Try a VPN. Try Mulvad. Go through Switzerland and try to get back in. But it might be that your account is purely banned, in which case it may not work at all. Oh, well, whatever anyway um yeah good luck with that um <laughs> not sure what to do about it um anyway let's see what else um but yeah one thing to notice in the on all the altcoins it almost doesn't matter which coin you pick uh volumes have been kind of steadily dropping um which implies that uh typically big moves happen before that so either you're going to have um a big dump or you're gonna have a big pump usually after the volume drops so on as price falls farther and farther down like usually you, what you want to see is like volume drop to almost nothing and then all of a sudden big buyers step in to buy because uh, they feel like the sell pressure is gone um like a pretty good charge for that right now yeah dogecoin looking good about eight cents its lowest drop was to like 7.5 cents and volume has fallen off to, I mean, not quite nothing, but pretty low. Um, yeah, Litecoin at $69 is like a sweet buy right here. The lowest it's been to during the bear market was about $58, $55 right around there. Pretty good, easy one to scale into here. Um, and it's also below the cost of mine as well which puts it at like a, a nice position if you want to like get something that hasn't run yet for the, for the bull market. Um, I don't know if it's going to have as much of a run as some other coins, but um, let's see. Um, and link today after it tested this like 1580 level dump again, it's back down to 1530 again. So it failed to break out one more time, noob. <laughs> so there you go. Um, very hard to tell what these things are going to do. But um, I think Link's a decent buy at anywhere from $14 and below. So the $14 to $12 range is a good place for that one. Um, um, yeah, most of the altcoins today are kind of, I don't know, they're kind of languishing. They're just going sideways, really. Charts look very undecided. Like there's not really, it's kind of mid-level between the recent dump and the recent tops. Most coins are like that right now. 
Sefi, I have a question for you. Like, do you have any idea like regulations? It is going to benefit the real world assets converted into tokenizations or it is going to, you know, the kill crypto or blockchain. What is going to happen for the RWA section? Mm, I don't know. RWAs is not going to be meaningful for many years to come. It's just purely like vaporware at this point. So um, the more immediate things coming the next two years are, there's quite a few, like something like 30. Let me find the website, actually. It's called Atlantic something. Um, uh, one second. Find out. There's something I'm looking for here. It's called uh, AtlanticCouncil.org, if you want to check this out. So AtlanticCouncil.org created a little site where they're tracking the creation of the various central bank digital currencies. Um, their key findings are, I'll read them out here, 130 countries representing 98% of global GDP are exploring a CBDC. In May 2020, only 35 countries were considering it. A new high of 664 countries are in the advanced phase of exploration, which includes development, pilot, and launched. Um, 19 of the G20 countries are now in advanced stage of CBDC development of one sort or the other. 11 countries have fully launched a, a digital currency. China's pilot currently reaches 260 million people being tested in over 200 scenarios, some of which include public transit, stimulus payments, and e-commerce. Uh, European Central Bank is on track to begin its pilot for the digital euro. Um, in the U.S., progress on retail CBDC is stalled. In, in the U.S., however, moving forward on a wholesale bank-to-bank -bank CBDC, uh, since Russia's in, invasion of Ukraine and the G7 sanctions response, wholesale CBDC developments have doubled. So what does all this mean? It means that like more people in the world are going to be exposed to one sort of digital currency or the, or the other. Um, let me see here. There's some graphic here um, on the site. Um, that sort of shows the growth of this. Uh, currently, as of, I think the chart ends in June 2023, but they have like, um, well, let me pause this thing. It keeps moving. Um, so as of June 2023, I think 46 were in research, 32 in development, 21 in pilot, 11 launched. And what this means is that more people are going to be using some form of digital money or the other. And um, CBDCs, one of the things people are going to do with them is they're going to gamble in crypto. <laughs> they're going to be like, you know, because the more digital your, your money is, the easier it is to incorporate that theoretically into, um, you know, your various like, uh, you know, you, you know, it's, it's very, it makes it easier and easier to basically convert and transmit digital money to different people. Um, and most countries are trying to, at least the BRIC countries especially, are trying to increase the, the network effect of their various monies to make them more useful to people to hold all over the world. And it's much easier to distribute CBDCs than things on the Forex. So all of these countries are really like um, moving in that direction. And I think over the next couple of years, this CBDC growth is going to lead to more money coming into the crypto space, like just generally. Um, people will be buying Bitcoin and whatever else. And what CBDCs do not offer necessarily is automatically like a privacy component. 
CBDCs are a great way to sort of control populations, maybe stimulate certain activities, stimulate other, you know, maybe penalize certain activities, maybe incorporate taxes into transactions like VAT taxes and whatnot. So CBDCs basically create a whole lot of digital tyranny, um, and it's very easy to basically abuse those things um, if a regime wanted to abuse them. So there's going to be uh, definitely people that want to be in regular cryptos because they don't want to be in these things, but they might be receiving them as a result of like maybe their country, you know, paying them certain money in those particular CBDCs. But they probably won't have, they'll have the um, same, the CBDC of a country will have the same inflation problems as the native coin of their country. So there'll be people like in Argentina and they might be like, oh, I got my CBDC, but it's like a shit coin. I'm going to convert it to Bitcoin or something. Um, so there will be definitely people that convert. You, you see, there's one big issue that I see with CBDCs uh, mm -hmm. for a use case on a cross-country use. So mm -hmm. right now, if let's say some guy from South Africa wants to wire money to Peru, for example, he has to go through the SWIFT system over a central clearing desk somewhere in New York. This is how it's usually settled. And if your Peruvian bank doesn't have enough dollars in the vault with whoever is the, is the clearing house there in New York, right? Can't remember the name. Um, then you have a problem because it won't be issued to you or maybe the bank even shows you a dollar balance, but you don't really know if they really have your dollars or if it's just some fake amount like in Argentina, what they come up with, right? Mm -hmm. So this is one thing. Citizens can't trust their banks when it comes to foreign currencies and even worse, countries can't trust each other. Um, they yeah. are very likely to go to war over lesser things than money. Right? Yes, yes. <laughs> so this is a really, really big issue where I don't see that any CBDC will actually facilitate that. If you have some neutral instrument that's kind of like Bitcoin, that's sitting there, it's like decentralized, it's whatever, it's just computers doing their shit, right? And you can use that as a differential so people trade in Bitcoin. There's enough people in your stupid country that trade Bitcoin for your CBDC and in the other countries there are enough stupid people that trade that CBDC back again, then it could work. That's what I see where actually crypto Yeah, is. and and I'm not pointing out like, I, I don't believe that we're on the verge of like, you know, mega CD, CBDC adoption just yet. I think what I'm pointing out is really just that um, if you compare real world asset anything to CBDCs, CBDCs are a lot closer to being used and, and being deployed and are being deployed by some countries. So if you're asking the question like, do we have a bull market in crypto and is it going to be driven by some of these things, actual money coming into the space, then, um, right, like then you could argue that um, the answer is probably yes, but is it going to happen because of real world assets or from, from this? I think it's more likely to be this stuff. That's kind of mm. what I'm trying to say. Yes. Not I mean, it that... really depends on the country that's implementing the CBDC, right? China, for example, they're very advanced, right? I, I have a CBDC wallet with Chinese yuan. It's linked mm -hmm. to my bank account. I just push a button for my banking app and boom, the thing goes in there. And then the funny thing is it actually even works if I'm offline. So basically, if I don't have any reception, I can still pay to a certain amount with mm -hmm. that CBDC funds in my wallet just by the QR code, which is kind of cool. Um, I can wire large amounts. I can wire small amounts. I can pay my fines. I can I can do a lot of stuff. 
with that CBDC currency, but definitely I'm not going to buy any crypto because they don't want me to buy any crypto with it, right? So the government has a pretty clear stance on cryptocurrencies in China, and there's no one that's going to... What is their stance What is their stance now, like the latest? Uh, well, basically, they still have that issue that they don't want to have anyone investing into foreign assets so we, with ease, right? So you have to go through some hoops. There's possibilities. There's always ways, you know. Chinese are... Let's say they're not stupid, right? They can move money, but it's not like you push a button and it's working, right? You have to do, you have to go the extra mile, and it's definitely not gonna gonna well, work through that CBDC. So they won't let you like, like here in Germany, it doesn't matter if it's a CBDC, I would say, or if it's my just my euro account. If I wire money to Coinbase's account, I have USDC within a minute or maybe two. Mm. as of now right so it's 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 like okay if you call it a cbdc or whatever it's not going to be much faster you know I, I i couldn't care less right the only thing i would worry about is that the government without any warrant or something some stupid policeman could look into my cbdc banking account because it's just registered with the central government that's one thing i don't like because it makes it just too fucking easy you know there's mm. no one really checking so if it's with a private institution like it's listed with that bank it's my bank account and the judge has to sign a warrant and then they actually give the information over i'm fine with that when a lot of people need to make fuss about extracting my privacy then yeah i have not an issue with that if they assume i'm a, I'm a criminal so be it right but uh, unless it's that in china it's very easy you know they, they can literally in a in a stupid police station today, if they enter your ID number, they can tell whether a guy just bought a train ticket. Noob, just to correct yeah. you, they've, they've relaxed their rules on crypto via Hong Kong. Uh, they've got a list this of digital assets you're allowed Hong to trade. Kong isn't China, you know? It's not like you no, over there. but they're allowed to trade not... via Hong Kong exchanges. So that they've relaxed yeah, it. Now you tell me how a normal citizen would get money into Hong Kong. You know, I've been living there. No, 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 you're not listening. The Chinese people can use Hong Kong exchanges. It's been whitelisted. It's like you using an American exchange again, from Germany. Again, you tell me how you get Hong Kong dollars out of China. It's not possible. It's the same as if you trade US dollars. It's mm. not like that, you know. It's not like there's this, there's China and that's it. There's the Chinese yuan and that's it. If I want to wire at 200 euros, I have to fill out a, a bunch of forms explaining for what the money is right if it's for my kids for example i have to bring the paper from the school as an evidence in front of the bank that i have to pay for the schooling fees and then they wire the money to the school's account or to my kids account if it's a grown-up that studies over the overseas right it's not that simple you know it's it's like i mean <laughs> i can i can deposit pounds and it automatically converts to euros or, or dollars or whatever currency i want on any exchange from where i am and then exactly, I mean, yeah. that, no that's my point. I don't have to. There's no cross-country system in China. If you go into a Chinese banking system, there's no way you actually wire money to some foreign account, not a domestic account, not in a different currency. You have to personally go to the bloody bank. They they had it for a while. It was more easy. You could do it online for your kids or something. But they made it on purpose because a lot of a lot of Chinese people want to actually get some money out of the country because of whatever reasons and they don't want it. So they have big capital controls in place, right? So they allowed for people in Hong Kong, business people, they can, whatever US dollars they hold, they're in some Hong Kong holdings, they can trade in and out of crypto, it's not a problem. But for the normal Chinese citizen, 
it's a big problem. I think until today they still lock you uh, lock you up if if you trade crypto if you actually advertise for it. Right, it's still illegal. That's the de facto case in China. And I'm pretty certain about it. So that's just the situation. Maybe they change it. You know, they can just snip with their fingers and say, okay, you can trade tomorrow. But as of today, it's illegal. And you are going to get a big fine, or if you are basically dealing with this stuff, you're going to prison. That's sure. Yeah, it's it's a bit uh, draconian. <laughs> yeah, I think what he's saying is that like there may be some whitelisting going on, but the thing is like, does that actually mean that you can technically go and trade now? That's a different story. I don't know. I'm not really sure. Um, and it's not to say that people aren't, but they're doing it like they might be doing it, you know, under the radar or something. Yeah, I mean, there's possibilities. You you can take up, up to 5,000 US dollars in cash out of the country per person, right? So you just cross the border with a tourist. A Chinese citizen can make a tourist visa for Hong Kong. It's not just like you walk over there. No, you have to go to your local government and apply for a tourist visa. It's valid for 10 days and then you can travel to Hong Kong and just to Hong Kong. And they actually issue a small card that allows you to go to Hong Kong. And then with your $5,000, you can go to some exchange and try to actually open with your Chinese ID card. They won't even let you open anything. But anyways, I mean, probably the, you find some guy on the roadside in Hong Kong that lets you buy some USDT with your five thousand dollars. I think that's possible. Yeah, and, and but it's not a it's not a proper way to do it. But there are shady people in China. They will give you Bitcoin or whatever for your for you and then normally they come and they drive to your place and pick up the cash you know they're <laughs> wary of the government but for the normal citizen this is not a thing to do right there's still a lot of miners in china and obviously they're selling their bitcoin to someone and the government knows that and but it's not like the public then the regular public isn't allowed to do it that's all i'm saying yeah well it, it and so yeah does it get to a point though with more like CBDC penetration to various countries that um, like you'll be able to more quickly uh, consider like, will CBDCs get listed on traditional exchanges that that's quite possible, like on a Binance or on a uh, plain base. I'm pretty sure, you know, if it's euro CBDCs or USDC, US dollar CBDCs, mm -hmm. whatever it is, it's legal, you know, there's no problem. They just said they so get the, the only, the only reason we haven't noticed this yet and any significant usage is because the US dollar does not have a CBDC. The um, the euro, there is no CBDC yet. And these are probably the biggest trading pairs you're going to see. Very few people are trading based on yen trading pairs or something. So the reality is like, the reason why no one's noticed any of this is because the big, the biggest blocks or the biggest currencies have not gone to this yet. And so, you know, if that happens, um, you know, money flowing into crypto might increase as a trading venue. Certainly the BlackRock, um, like Larry Fink with BlackRock is, you know, quoted as having said, you know, that he believes that probably tokenization of everything is highly likely. Real world assets, um, digital currencies, whatever it is, like commodities, et cetera. Uh, anything that can be traded on a stock market today, theoretically, with sufficient scale could be run. Um, in uh, like a tokenized infrastructure of some kind where you can trade these things and borrow off of them or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think I think this sort of like, be, now what system, who builds that system that it actually is based on? I don't know. Is it gonna be, is there gonna be enough building this bull market to materially impact the value of our coins? That's a different question, probably not. 
not a lot of cash flows coming into the ecosystem because, you know, people are interested in buying real world assets right now with crypto or something. I think what's going to happen is these next few years, you'll see some of the narratives play out and you'll have probably some speculative pumps as a result of that, like maybe some RWA coins or whatever, but like no actual real world usage, even like some of like the big stuff Chainlink is building. Those things aren't going to be really deployed heavily into the TradFi space for another like several years because there's a lot there. There are a few experimental projects going on where I think there's an experimental project with Swift. There's some other ones. So there's like small ones connecting Ethereum to with Chainlink and to real uh, traditional finance, but like nothing like I don't know of any that are like in full full fledged um, production they to, mode. They have to build all the regulatory framework and the laws for it, right? So it's it's up to the legislator and the regulator to basically implement that before you can really use it. You know? Yeah. First, you have to test it, and then you have to build a law that actually allows for legal use of that, right? So <laughs> you're, you have the safety. No one's going to trust you with a couple of hundred million dollars on whatever if there's no law that protects you in some way or the other, right? Yeah. Um, let me pull up, like, partnerships on this one. Um, there's kind of a an important list of them that are kind of interesting. Um, let's see here. Do, 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 do. Where do you find this? Um, like, where's the, but what's interesting with the CBDC in China, it's been around since the Olympic games, right? And other than the Metro and for paying taxes, people don't really like to use it. They're like, nah, <laughs> not with the government, you know, mm. they just charge as much as necessary to pay whatever, you know, it's like the the, the new ID card, you need to pay for it, you know, yeah, it's, it's like. Um, <laughs> well, what they'll do is the way they'll make it happen is, is they'll give incentives usually to use it eventually. And then what they'll do is they'll create certain things like government stuff that you have to use it for. And then people are going to be like, well, it just becomes their default mode. Not to mention for the average person, do they really care if it's a CBDC or whether it's regular money? Not really. Like um, For them, it's in, just the balance in their phone, right? It's a balance in their phone as far as they know. In fact, in China, like the reality is that like... No more cash. It's gone. Cash probably, gone. yeah, cash is already gone anyway. And, you know, the government can find out everything about you they want to already. There's nothing really new to add in terms of tyranny with CBDC. I mean, still, they still accept cash everywhere. And there's people mm -hmm. like... 60 plus years that that still use cash uh, at a regular basis but even they try to use you know, it's like in the big cities it's gone it's it's really gone in the rural areas cash is still um yeah here's the here's the article about Chainlink. Uh, this is this is from back during the summer swift and this is from coindesk but swift and Chainlink will test connecting over a dozen financial institutions to blockchain networks in a new set of experiments, SWIFT will collaborate with major financial institutions like Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, DTCC, Australia, New Zealand Banking Group, ANZ, BNP Paribus, BNP Mellon, BNY Mellon, Citigroup, Clearstream, Euroclear, and Lloyds Banking. And um, SWIFT, the interbank messaging system, and Link, uh, a provider of real-world data to blockchains, will be collaborating dozens of financial institutions to test how they can connect with multiple blockchain networks. Um, new set of experiments. So basically, these are just considered experiments. Um, and they could generate efficiencies, reduce costs, simplify settlement processes, and basically just shorten the time it takes to get a transaction via Swift, for example. 
So like banks are not going to suddenly like drop swift. Like that's just not going to happen. Um, it's such a gigantic network of money. It like the amount of money that goes through swift in that entire system makes the entire blockchain industry look like peanuts, like probably the entire market cap of like, like, let, let me look this up. How much goes through swift per day? How much? It's, it's a crazy amount of money. You don't even want to know. <laughs> yeah. How much is it per day? And you look at that and you go, it's probably the entire market cap of crypto per, per minute or some shit. Like we find it. Yeah. yeah so tri Swift handles about $5 trillion per day. <laughs> 1.25 quadrillion wow. year transactions. Um, so fake transactions. <laughs> and that's with, and that's with only 250 business days per year. Yeah. So a lot is moving through that system. Right. And you're talking about the entire market cap of crypto times three goes through swift per day so that yeah, just gives an idea they're not you're not going to have banks suddenly moving over to you know Chainlink or xrp or whatever the fuck your favorite yeah. thing is this is not happening there's a huge cross-border demand there right mm -hmm. so anything that makes it more efficient and cheaper to move that many transactions is actually going to win right that's one thing yeah, because if if you can get speed and scale and the companies that are already involved, the banks and Swift or whoever, if those people feel like they can make money, they'll move into new technologies. Yeah. If they feel like, oh, these people are just trying to replace us with something else, uh, whoever it administers that ecosystem, they're not interested in giving up that power to a brand new company. Like there's no obvious rational reason for that to be the case. And, and I think actually there are quite a few African countries, if they adopt crypto at an early stage of some of the blockchain technology, they can actually really benefit from it because they don't have these rigid systems in place. Yes, like, that's true. There is this immature, whatever, colonial bullshit leftovers what are working there. They're not really usable for them. So I see that they, these countries will actually have a real benefit on a, on a pretty short term, note, or let's say time frame, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people, um, I think, like, one of the biggest crypto users in the world uh, per capita is Nigeria. In yeah, uh, not surprised. Actually, my, my partner does business with Nigeria, and they've been doing pretty well over the last couple of years. The, 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 the business is just going up, going up. They're doing well over there, right? And they didn't, didn't, they didn't do well for like 15 years. I mean, he's, he's been doing with business with them for like 20-something odd years. Mm -hmm. And it's just... For the last six or seven years, it's really picking up down there, right? Yep. Countries no, the, countries that don't have a lot of uh, previous infrastructure encumbrance, it's almost easier to to experiment and build in those zones, basic idea. But yeah, but I think like the the but this concept of companies like Chainlink and others. Uh, let me see, like um, for for some reason, like um, Chugs has like caught onto the XRP like wave for some reason like i would point out like xrp's market cap is idiotically high so for what it does it has so much speculative multiple baked into it like the growth potential is weak compared to so many other things like even if half the shit that they talk about materializes it doesn't have any effect on xrp's coin price like ripple putting partnerships together for themselves does not make xrp more useful this is the funny thing um so it's like the whole the whole thing like the XRP crowd is really interesting in this regard, and they keep going on and on about like whatever it's supposed to do. But XRP has been around for a long time; it doesn't do shit at this point. So, yeah, like, it's almost been like, everywhere. Almost like Tesla, you know, where is it going to go? Right? It's going to do another 10x from here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, 
me see what they're saying here about, um, we find any recent article on this. Um, let's see here. Is anything useful about XRP? I don't know. Like sometimes I, you know, it's like, am I in my own bubble? I'm not. And maybe there is some shit going on. So sometimes you feel like check, taking a look just to see, but, um, let me see if there's anything here. News wise. Um, I don't know, like, is there like Ripple News 2024 or something, 2023? Um, let's see here. Um, uh, let's see here. Some robo articles and some bullshit. Let's see. So let's see if we can find an article that has anything useful about this lately. <laughs> I don't know. Um, let's see well, they got, of course, they got their SEC lawsuit win, sort of, where I, I guess they are not deemed a security for the moment, I guess. So that's kind of plus for them still. Um, if anything, it was a plus for the rest of altcoins. I'm not sure it necessarily appreciably affected, helped XRP that much. but Yeah, I mean, probably at that point, it's just the, the, the owners of XRP, the, the main people, they're just fighting for not going to prison, right? <laughs> losing everything and the rest of the market is actually seeing a win-win from that because they're trailblazing right by getting these kind of judgments from the judges exactly at the end of the day they already made so much money with it it doesn't really matter you know they couldn't care less <laughs> what the coin price does at this moment it's just makes yeah it down 30 percent who cares right <laughs> And Solana being uh, 10 billion above XRP doesn't help it either, because as far as like things they are, they're going to pump, like, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like the one that's that interesting. I mean, I'm all for it. If like, so you tell me why I should buy it and it's going to moon. All right, fine. But like, <laughs> it's just not like it, the, like comparatively in terms of like market cap, like Chainlink is a much better buy. And they've announced way more actual stuff happening. Um, and not only that, but Chainlink doesn't need any of the real world shit to actually work for all of its crypto related stuff to work. That's the other thing. So whereas XRP, it's highly reliant on, you know, I just don't know. Like the thing is like the XRP token holder doesn't really get much benefit just because Ripple has partnerships. Those don't actually accrue value to the XRP token. There's like a strong, um, like the sense that like maybe it will, but like it's a pure security, but you're not getting any benefit from anything Ripple does. Oh, well, it's going to be the lawyer coin, right? They paid so much for lawyers. So <laughs> uh, I'm just joking. Is there a, yeah, I know. Is there a half decent um, uh, technological limitations? Yeah, it doesn't have smart cards. I mean, fighting so much. Oh, in courts, it must cost you a fortune, right? I mean, XRP is trying to incorporate something called XRP Ledger in order to try to create some kind of smart contract platform, but it's all late, basically. Um, yeah, the tech limitations, I mean, you got to remember, like, XRP came out not being a smart contract platform, substantially inferior to Ethereum or whatever else. And it came out many years ago. I mean, like, what have they done in all this time? I don't know. Um, you know, is there an actual partnership here for Ripple that's going to makes sense i don't know mm, and if you have here's the other thing cbdc's are extraordinarily bearish on xrp because why the hell would you need xrp if you have cbdc's you don't that's the end of that so i don't know that like it was a bet on like 
I don't know, dollar transactions being made simpler via Swift and other systems of some kind, but it doesn't seem like they've like, what bank is actually using ripple now? What banks use XRP? I'm just Googling this stuff. Uh, see if we can find some actual data on this thing. Um, on the XRP banks. I don't know. Uh, let's see here. Medico, the Swiss digital assets custody firm acquired by Ripple earlier this year, is working with HSBC. So Ripple acquired a firm. Hmm. Uh, Watcher Guru says, which banks use Ripple XRP? Uh, let's see if there's a... I don't even get to the meat of this. Understanding Genesis, blah, blah, blah. Why was it developed? Yada, yada, yada. Advantages of Ripple. Basically nothing special. Fast transaction speed, um, scalability, blah, blah, blah. Um, damn, this article is just like full of shit. <laughs> like no actual, um, which banks use Ripple? Bank of America has partnered with Ripple for several years. Collaboration instrumental in setting up RippleNet's compliance standards. PNC Bank joined Ripple 2016. I don't know who that is. Siam Commercial Bank, Thailand. Adopted Ripple 2020 to launch its outward remittance service. Santander Bank, using Ripple since 2018. Launched the 1FX service, facilitates cross-border payments between US and EU. Standard Charter Bank, UK. Partnered, partnered in 2016. Collaboration enabled the bank to open payments to customers in over 50 countries in its network. I don't really know how big that is. And then Qualix Mexico, I'm not sure who Qualix is, one of the early adopters of XRP liquidity products like XRapid. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, but like, I don't see how this benefits any Ripple holder. Like a bank would convert a, a transaction to Ripple, convert that Ripple back to the whatever currency. It's kind of like an intermediary, but, and I guess maybe the fact that it's got a $31 billion market cap helps because of the stability of Ripple's price in any given moment. But outside of that, I don't know. I'm not sure. Like, it seems like the Ripper, Ripple holder benefits the banks. I don't see how the banks benefit the Ripple holder. <laughs> like, it's, a weird, it's a weird thing. I don't know. It charts doesn't look any better than Monero or something like that. Hey, Sophie, I've got to, I've got to go up. I've got to come back yeah, sure. in an hour or something. Yeah, yeah, sure. Anyway, yeah, interesting with Ripple. Um, it, but it's uh, at this point, man, it's got like a market cap that's very tough to move without a lot of sudden popularity. And I don't know what that like with a bull run, everything can pump, of course. But I just don't see like why one would waste time on it from a momentum perspective. It just doesn't seem to make sense to me. Um, he mentioned Tesla a little, little while ago. Let's see what happened to it real quick. I'm just curious where their stock, what their stock did. Um, give me a sec here. Tesla stock. Um, so yeah, it's at 219, which I think is still too overvalued. I bought Tesla at like 106 and sold it about 170. Um, I bought a bunch of dividend earners with that money. I think like I'd be interested in Tesla again. Oh man, if it's like somewhere south of 150 bucks, um, it's got like a market cap of 70, I'm sorry, a uh, price to earnings ratio of about 70. It has a ridiculous market cap too, by the way. Um, Tesla's market cap of $700 billion is like the entire car industry combined. 
or some bullshit like that. It's like, just to, as a reference, um, Toyota stock has actually performed quite well this last year. Um, and they produce a lot of vehicles. Their ticker is TM. Their market cap is $260 billion at this moment. Let's look at Ford for just a second. Their market cap is, mm, let's see here. Their ticker should be F, I believe. Yeah, Ford Motor Company, F. Um, I have a little bit of their stock. It's only $45 billion. So you're talking about Toyota plus Ford. That's like a Volkswagen. Uh, Volkswagen, They're, because they have a lot of the European market. Um, their market cap's like $65 billion. So like Tesla's market cap is like the cap of like most of the car manufacturers combined. This is why like I'm not a fan of buying the stock. It could go up because of speculative multiples and whatever, and it has obviously, but the reality is like, it's a very high risk. Like it's a relatively high risk. It's basically a meme coin to some extent because people buy it because Elon has it and they're building robots and they're building self-driving cars and stuff. So this, th there's a lot of like price multiples and PDE built in, but to be at a 70 price to earnings ratio um, is a bit absurd. Like just like take Apple, for example, um, Apple's price to earnings ratio right now is 30. Um, it dropped, I think the second highest market cap in the world at 2.875 trillion. I think Microsoft just surpassed it lately this last week, but, um, you know, price to earnings is about 30 for, for, um, for Apple. And it's high in my opinion. I think like people didn't know where to put their money because dollar was losing its value. And like, you know, it was kind of like the flight to safety. It's like, more people put money in Apple than they put like, I don't know, probably in gold or something. They just dumped it there thinking that like their money is safe. But even Apple's market PDE is high. And if they have like any more subsequent quarters where they, they, they don't sell enough iPhones, you can imagine um, Apple's price is going to drop. In fact, it did drop to some extent. It dropped from like um, its top was like around 197. It dropped about 80, 186. So I would say it's still even Apple's high risk at this level as far as downside uh, movement. Um, it's one of those that you could buy into on the way down and scale in, but it's not one that you could pick up. But Tesla is just an example of just really, really overvalued. Um, and like, I think it makes more sense. Like, I mean, I think it's, it's total addressable market unless it really builds a lot of robots, like their Maximus robot or something just on cars alone. You're not going to make shit money on cars, like compared to the, I mean, like all the rest of the car market combined is eking out as many margins that they can. And their P to E ratios run like 30 and below. Like, I think the ones I mentioned earlier, let's look at Toyota real quick as an example. Like Toyota is a pretty profitable company. Their price to earnings ratio is 10, right? So that means that there's a, that like, <laughs> you could see like a 80% drawdown in Tesla stock and you wouldn't be shocked at all. If Tesla was trading the 50 to $100 range again, it's 218 now, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Like this is classic, um, like crash material. And um, it just hasn't run down yet, but it's, I, but it's been bleeding out for, for quite some time. But um, yeah, like, like if you look at the car market and what margins they make, um, you know, Tesla would have to make a lot of money on these things to really materially like make sense to have a PE that high. So I wouldn't necessarily short it or whatever, but the point is like, I'm not buying it as a value investor at all. Um, you know, that, you know, who knows it could double and, you're going to think yeah, I'm an idiot, but um, it's just not a good risk portfolio, risk benefit ratio. And I think like if you look at XRP, it's in that kind of category. It's like meme driven. 
Um, a lot of the XRP holders have no fucking clue what the coin does or that it does anything. In fact, it really doesn't do very much. And so um, it wouldn't be surprising that they kind of keep holding. It's interesting, I think, that it's maintained a market cap as high as it has for so long. But like, if you were to ask me, what's the better buy at the moment? Is it like Litecoin or XRP? Like it's Litecoin in my opinion, like in terms of easier to move the market to the upside, like it only has a 5 billion market cap. So, you know, if it, it can three X a lot quicker, um, in, in, you know, so like why people are buying XRP and why they always have, I don't know. Um, the other one that I'm not sure has a whole lot of narrative left in it is Cardano. Like it was popular last season, but man, like, I don't know, maybe it goes up again. I've been wrong about this thing in the past, but like, I mean, it's not a really usable chain. I'm not sure who wants it. And it seems like it's much more likely that like Avalanche flips Cardano and it's not even that great of a chain. It's okay. Um, but yeah, of the, of the top 20, I would say the most useful coin in in the top twenty is clearly Chainlink. Like, like it's not even close. Uh, even compared to Solana, it's much like it's the more obvious utility buy. Uh, Solana just picked up a really nice um, narrative pump um, influencer type of pump thing, but like, there's nothing very special happening on Solana as far as pure tech. Pure tech, I would say in the top, let's say, yeah, in like the top 25, I think really nothing beats Chainlink as far as like pure tech. Um, like uh, even Bitcoin, of course, is old tech. Um, Ethereum's okay, but not scalable. It's got to have like infinite numbers of layer twos. And even those layer twos aren't very scalable and it's quite centralized. Um, Chainlink's actually the most scalable. It's the most scalable because any company can create a Chainlink Oracle network. And what has been lacking on Chainlink has been really like, why does a token have to get value? But now that like Chainlink can be used as a staking mechanism for paying out rewards for people, incentive rewards for people that are running uh, Chainlink uh, Oracle's networks, um, it seems like that seems like a good economic security model for it and so it has a little bit more holding pressure perhaps more of a real utility but i think Chainlink is probably going to flip polka dot pretty quickly here i don't know who's using polka dot even like it has a 9.8 million dollar mark cap but not on crypto twitter and stuff maybe you guys are following people that follow polka dot i don't know what the fuck they're doing like i don't know anyone that uses it for anything like even to play around there like are there any polka dot meme coins or something or I don't know. Let me see. Like, let me look at polka dot top top daps and see what they are. Uh, but yeah, like trying to pick like what's going to run this season. Let's see here. Uh, let's see top polka dot daps twenty twenty three. Here, I don't know what to Google on this. Um, let's see. Mm, Captain Altcoin. Best projects on Polkadot, top dApps on Polkadot to invest in. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Kusama, which is basically just, you know, a test network, um, has always been kind of popular. Akala, Ethereum-compatible platform. Polka Foundry, Homa Protocol to address the issue of staked asset liquidity, which is basically like some kind of a 
Um, these are the three things, Akala, Homa, and Polka Foundry, Moonbeam, uh, developer-focused blockchain. So it's another like side chain on Polkadot is Moonbeam. Akala is another side chain, ACALA. I don't know what the ticker is. Mm, I don't know. Just a bu like most of these things just have a bunch of useless coins to trade. Um, nothing really, really like groundbreaking in most of them. I don't know. Polkadot. Uh, is another one that's just generally uninteresting. Um, <laughs> so, like, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. This season, it seems like just much more interesting to pick, like, things with a modest market cap that have a lot of room to run for no other reason that they will. But, like, I don't know, not a lot of really dramatic technical innovations. Axie Infinity is still at 68, which is interesting. Does anyone play this thing anymore? I don't even know. Uh, sandbox is pe people play with that. It's like a billion dollar market cap. S A N D. Theta Network is anyone watching anything on Theta Network? In fact, I'm going to check Theta Network. Um, Theta Network is like a YouTube, but it's like a decentralized YouTube, and it runs on Theta tokens. And there's two tokens for that. Um, I've sort of had some before. Theta and Theta Fuel. You can you can run like a Theta node and make Theta Fuel tokens as like you get paid in these things for running a node. It's pretty easy to do. You can run it on a Mac or PC or whatever. But the question is, is anyone actually using it? So theta.tv, let's see. It's kind of like YouTube. You can kind of check it out. Um, let's see, theta video API, theta edge nodes. Um, download for blah, blah, blah. Let's see, theta TV. How do I watch something on theta network? Theta Network Watch. I don't even know how to get to this freaking. It's been that long since I bothered with this. Um, it's basically YouTube is what it is. It's kind of a... And you can basically get paid in Theta tokens um, if you, like, post videos on it. Um, it probably has a kind of a relatively diehard... Uh, user network, I would imagine. And it's probably more crypto native users. So if you have a YouTube channel, it's probably not a bad idea to put something on Theta Network, just publish something just because. Um, but let me see. Enterprises, devs. How do I get to the damn, like how to actually watch something? Uh, if someone has a URL, let me know. Um, let's see here. Theta Token, Theta TV. Infrastructure showcase. Um, that's not a good sign that I can't figure out how to watch anything on the damn network. <laughs> what is the point? Uh, you see, data network programming or something. Program guide. Find some shit to watch on here. Um, I don't know. Not a good sign that I can't find the actual link. Uh, data network links, maybe. And probably no one's actually watched something on here. That's probably a bad sign as well. Uh, data networks token enters top ten. Crypto goes by market cap. This is in twenty in twenty twenty one. It ran up pretty high. It ran to like top ten. Um, I heard a lot of buzz about it. Um, you know, on the street kind of people. Like, oh yeah, I'm buying Theta and it's going to be the next YouTube or whatever. Um, I still can't find it. I must be retarded or something. Uh, 
thetatoken.org is their main website. But it doesn't show you where to watch this thing. Web3 video, API, MetaChain, NFTs, Enterprise. Oh, they threw in NFTs in there too because they wanted to spend some money. They wanted to uh, go on the NFT buzz train. Um, yeah, I don't know. Can't find the fucking place to watch it. <laughs> it's pretty sad. What's up, Dark? What are you doing? Um, ThetaVideoAPI.com is where you kind of figure out how to connect your content or something to this thing. I don't know. There used to be a channel, like a YouTube-like channel. You could watch shit. I can't find it anymore. No, I was saying uh, Odyssey apparently was supposed to be like the next YouTube at one point. Um, I don't know how they're doing with... Oh, Odyssey? Yeah, Odyssey. Um, let me see. I used to have the app. Yes, yeah, O-D-Y-S-E-E. Have you, have you heard any buzz about Theta that you think it's going to be like the next... Like a runner at this this moment. no actually this is my first time hearing about data that's why I kind of yeah really light bulb on I'm like data what you said is like the next YouTube I'm like wait that sounds like Odyssey but I know data network its market cap is seventy three so it's still around okay even BitTorrent BTT um, did well last season and it's still number seventy four so it's interesting how these things when they reach a billion market cap they don't fall down below that that easily right. Um, but at the same time, that makes more sense to buy stuff that maybe is, you know, way lower, <laughs> way lower market cap. Um, actually, even BTT ran up already and it's full. So I think all the altcoins are just basically following total three. They're all just sort of running together for no apparent reason. Like, you know, there, there's no special, it's just speculative shit. And I, I wonder if like whales just sort of like create the first pump, like with billions of dollars. And they've created that first pump and then attract everybody in and sort of like signal that the bull market has begun is almost how it feels. Cause like some of these charts look exactly the same. They're just correlating with the total three, which is the total three is the non ETH, non BTC market cap. Right. So you can pull that up on trading view. It's pretty much perfectly correlated with it, but yeah, data, BitTorrent, everything popped. Like it didn't matter what you owned or what you bought. Everything popped like in that October, November, December timeframe. Hmm. King, what you doing, man? Where are you these days? Are you in Thailand still or what? Hey, man, Safi. Um, been a minute. Um, yeah, I've been like trying to learn um some of the stuff how uh, things work. Trying to migrate full time into uh, crypto. Um, so yeah, it's been fun. Uh, You're trying to figure out, out how trying to figure out how what works. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, like I, I just want to know how like uh, I can, uh, you know, get like a revenue system going um, through IBC and it seems to be working. But like the, the sad bit is like, I can't, uh, I'm not that good at marketing. Eh? Mm, okay. What, what do you mean a revenue system? What does that mean? Um, so I found a way that I can like leverage uh, like bonds to like, uh, a one-time purchase like an OTC um, and you can like benefit through like um, ridiculous high amounts of uh, yield bearing substance mm -hmm. so like like a thousand percent APR um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concentrated liquidity pools so that's a big plus for I have not uh, been messing with any LPs as of late um, oh you're trying to create revenue for yourself 
or you're trying to create a project that generates revenue for you. I don't, I'm sure I understand what you meant by revenue. So, so the cool thing is like, you can get people to like, um, you know, make one purchase and then like receive a recurring uh, revenue stream, meaning that they can get their funds back and more, which is really cool. Mm, okay. Sounds kind of Ponzi-ish, but yeah, but welcome to DeFi, right? <laughs> so, um, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Like, are you trying to create some bot trading platforms or just simple staking type things or what? So I was messing with like Dada tooling on Juno. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they offer some non-custodial services where you can um, move your funds and you mostly need like your treasury and stuff. So like um, there's guys like Yilmos, um actually like uh, really helping uh, the ecosystem thrive with that kind of uh, setup. So I've been trying to like establish like... Um, you know, let me, okay, like, let me look at Yieldmost while you're talking. I haven't looked at them in a long time. So let's see what it can do here. So can, you can tie in Yieldmost with the... Uh, so Yieldmost strategies, you can tie them in with your uh, DAO at this point. Is that right? Yeah, and the cool part is you can have like a single member DAO as well and the services still work. Okay, so let's let me go through real quick for people what Yieldmost has. So if you go to Yieldmost, Y-I-E-L-D-M-O-S dot com, um, and you go to open the app, it'll get you to the strategies section. And strategies include things like um, Juno DCA strategy, for example, or um, take your Juno staking, staking rewards and customize how you use them or um, compound your Osmosis LP liquidity pool rewards automatically to get better, higher yield on that. Um, Or restaking any of your tokens like an automated basis. You just basically set this up with your wallet and it's essentially a restaking protocol. And then there's some that's like manually compounding various staking rewards. So, and then taking uh, in the future, there'll be things like, we talked about this yesterday, it'd be like... um, uh, products like uh, Andromeda Protocol will allow you to do interesting things as well, like automate multiple of these simultaneously. Like, let's say you want to take your stride rewards and you want to take those and you want to buy Tia with them all or something like that. You can you can do these kinds of tricks where you automate shit. Um, so what did you do exactly then, King? You use Yieldmost and then you combine that with um, DowDow and created like a DAO? And then people can invest in your DAO. Is that what it is or what? Like, how does, how does this work? Okay. So what I did, like, just to test, right? Like, I, um, well, I, I'm a fan of, like, music and stuff. So I, I, I don't know how many people, like, in, in your space, like, specifically, like, uh, are interested in things like music and stuff. So sure. um, I did, like, a remix. My animation isn't the best. Uh, I used a lot of AI um, tooling to, to help me with that stuff. Um, and then like, um, I launched a collection on Omniflex. Um, but then like, um, I tried to list it in Axel, uh, Axela, um, USDC, but then like, I, I figured like, um, the bridging was, was a bit much for like, it was more than the cost of the NFT. Right. Um, so what I did was I can now move, like once there's a purchase of the NFT, the assets go directly into the wallet, right. And then I can go to take those assets and then uh, 
obviously you need a treasury to be able to allocate uh, anything with TMO. So it can go into my uh, DAO and then you can use um, any of the strategies provided by yield modes and, uh, you know, you can pay it into the uh, wallet of the purchaser. So, so did that's you really cool. a DAO wallet just for yourself or like something that other people were supposed to invest in? Well, initially I did it with other people, but like our mm-hmm. communication wasn't that great. Um, so then I tried to do it on my own and you can do a single member DAO. So it's really cool. Yeah, so you're just using it for the automation tooling and for the wallet management, essentially, right? Yeah, um, the only difficulty was like the automation of making the payments because like what happens in the case uh, of Fairy dying, right? Like uh, King dies and then like you get no rewards. Um, but what the idea was uh, essentially is like you earn um, more over time. So like you pay one time, then you earn. Funny, you're, you're, you're a big fan of like Meliolus and the 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 entire like <laughs> the fairy oh fairy man I, I love them it's like you're a fan of that that anime huh <laughs> it's funny you're surprised i know yeah, that I'm, sure. I'm actually pretty shocked yeah <laughs> you're surprised i know what it is yeah i know a lot of weird shit anyway but anyway <laughs> yeah it's a it's a fun little anime Um, anyway, the, uh, yeah, so you can, uh, yeah, I haven't played with DowDow's tooling. We were talking about it yesterday. I'm curious of what, you know, as they build that out, it could be more and more useful for people for sure. I, I think essentially like that should become like your, your hub of, uh, you know, uh, you need a treasury, right? So like it should be for the entire interchain, right? Like you have the doubt out there specifically for like the entire interchain because you need to uh, have a treasury somewhere. And so far they've done a fantastic job. And like, I think there's a lot more updates coming soon. Um, I, I know there was a bit of drama. Um, I, I was listening into Jake and then discussing it. Um, but I think like uh, the future is looking bright with Juno. Um, especially with the charter and stuff going uh, through. I think like a lot of like uh, clarity uh, is needed, but I think this is like, you know, like, like you said, like it's natural in DeFi. It always sounds really super ponzish. But, but, uh, I, think, but I think what we're missing still, um, Terra almost had it and um, some centralized exchange have this, but what's missing still, um, the, the, you know, what the problem with, any kind of trading strategies that you might build into some system, like all of the altcoins move together, right? This is a problem. Like to have a good trading capability, you need assets that honestly are uncorrelated completely. That's what you want. You want, like, let's say for example, gold goes down when Bitcoin goes up. That's really good because you could basically sell Bitcoin when it goes up and you could buy gold when it goes down, right? That you need that the delta between the two, um, you know, different assets. And the problem just, just going down yield Moses list is even if you had all these interesting strategies and yeah, you could auto compound some things or whatever. It's like, it's only minimally interesting. It's only minimally like useful. It becomes useful if you can do like, um, I don't know, like gold versus, um, you know, something super volatile, like take, for example, a altcoin, um, like, I don't know, Zephyr or Kujira or something, and you could trade it versus gold and put a grid bot together, then you'd make a lot of money. You like APIs would run like, 
you know, 100% plus APYs because the, the amount of trading volatility between the two coins is really high and you'll just constantly print money. And um, KuCoin had a little bit of that shit because they had PaxG on there, which is basically PaxG is gold. Um, it tracks the price of gold. But we just don't have enough of that stuff in the crypto space yet. Um, Bruce and I both used that a bit last season for a while. It was pretty cool. But like KuCoin kicked me off or whatever. They, and I'm, I'm, not in, I'm not happy with leaving too much assets on KuCoin, even if I did use a VPN and shit. So like, uh, but that was a really cool strategy. And I think like Cosmos is missing some of those things. Like when you have tokenized stocks or something else, something that um, moves different than crypto, you can do a lot of cool shit. Um, but like, I don't know, the volatility, volatility trading between cryptos um, is not an easy, like, it's not as useful in my opinion. Hey, Bruce. Good morning. Hello. I was just talking about you a second ago about the gold packs. G. remember we were using that as like a grid bot thing. It's pretty um, good. <clears throat> can you hear me all right, by the way? I'm using a different device. Yeah, you're nice. good. Um, oh, extra nice. It works. I'm I'm doing it on desktop. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, yeah, you know, we were talking about how like with bots and different things, like part of the problem in the these DeFi platforms um, is that you don't have enough shit you can trade that's actually useful. Like, you know, you may have some various altcoin combinations or whatever, but the problem is like the price differential and like not the price of the the price movements between the, the different ones. Oh, he dropped off. <laughs> the price movements between the different things are not sufficient enough to, you know, like trade between them. Um, that's what I think is nice about having like Bitcoin in my stock trading account, like the ETF. So like if I have a stock that pumps and BTC dumps, I can go, Ooh, I'm going to sell that and buy BTC, right? I can go jump between them. That's a really, really useful feature. We're missing that in most cosmos, um, and most DEXs and stuff at this point. Um, Bruce, does your thing get bugged? I tried to add him back, but it's not, it doesn't seem like he can come back on. Euro, what are you up to? Mm, not much. Um, I'm actually testing a new setup as well. How's this sound? Uh, yours is kind of yesterday too. It's kind of scratchy. It's like, it's almost like someone tapping on the microphone. Okay. From time to time. Sometimes it's okay, but it seems like it every time you touch something, it like rumbles a lot. Okay. Is it like headphones or what is it? It's Android emulator using a desktop mic. Um, okay. But it's it might really be... like it's getting garbly. Yeah, something's wrong. Yeah, everything right. sounds garbly as well, sir. So maybe not. <laughs> There's a lot of like artifact noise too. What happened, Bruce? Did your connection drop mm, just now or what? Can you hear me now? Yeah, it's excellent now. Really? Nice and bright. Yeah. Sounds good. I realized the um, it was working before, but it was going through the wrong input. So I've now changed it. I would say right now it's probably sounds the best it's ever sounded. Awesome. Like whatever you did, like save that. Okay. <laughs> it's good. Oh, this is double cool. I can I can mute myself uh, without pressing the mute button on the screen. Oh, how's that? Just on on the device itself. That's cool. 
Oh, okay. Nice. What are you using exactly? Like some sort of... Just um, some sort of cheaper microphone connected to uh, desktop. Okay. Yeah, even a cheap even a cheap desktop mic works better than probably phone mics and stuff. Some people, when they use their desktop mics, like depending on room size they're in, if they're in a tiny little room, it gives that echo. Like if they're in a one by one by one cube, for example, which I think some people mm. are. There's something a little bit. Can you hear me now? Yep. There's good. something weird about it though, because I, I mute, I, there's a mute button on this cheaper microphone. But when I press the mute button, the, the like frequency thing on the space still happens. But I think I am muted. Let me, let me mute for the next 10 seconds. Yeah. You can't hear me right Okay. I can't hear anything you're saying now. <laughs> so yeah, the, the mic's probably not actually sending a signal, but Twitter thinks you're still on. When I'm, when I'm muted, can you see uh, the frequency purple thing on my screen? Mm, no, not really. It looks mostly quiet. Confusing. All right. Yep. It's, it shows quiet because so no sound is actually transmitting nice. through. So long as I'm not like secretly transmitting or something. I do some doxing stuff. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah, like 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 if you're peeing or something, nobody wants to really hear it. Like, do do you see my purple thing moving about? Let me let me mute myself on the device now. No, I, mine I don't. I just see it blank. It just shows like flat. Uh, maybe it's just a weird. Maybe it's because my input is is displaying it directly, but um, it's not like going to the computer. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't. If it doesn't transmit on my side, it doesn't show anything. It's like a spectrum analyzer. And the crackling is Ura. Yeah, Ura sounds like it's like he's talking to aliens or something. It's like I'm interpreting a SETI message. What's with um? What's with the weird emulator stuff? You know, you can use it on desktop now, for I think any any operating system. <laughs> it's like communicating in Morse code. Morse Fibonacci sequences. Put that through stable diffusion or whatever. Second. Wait, what happened? I, I got disconnected for a second because I had a phone oh. call. I heard fib sequences and something stable diffusion <laughs> okay you're a try again see how you sound now hello yeah, yeah that's much clearer now cool. all right what did you do what did you do differently i switched back to normal desktop yeah okay yeah you're good yeah. now yeah. whatever you were doing before had some issues yeah. hmm my computer just kind of yeah so anyway yield mouse is interesting this is what uh, fairy king was pointing out in that it does some automations, but nothing really exotic. It's almost all like restaking. Like it'll take your, let's say you staked Adam or something, and it'll pretty much claim your rewards and then stake for you quickly so that you're getting, um, you know, so that you're getting basically like um, compounding faster. The problem is like, this doesn't make sense because if you have 
liquid staked atom, it just makes sense to own that because who the hell wants to do like, you know, taxable income every single day on staking claims and shit like this. So depending on where your tax situation is, claiming staking rewards frequently can be just a pain in the ass for his documentation shit. It's nonsense. Which is why I like Zephyr. Don't have to worry about all this bullshit. But for anyone that's interested, check out Yieldmost. L-I-Y-E-W, sorry, Y-I-E-L-D-M-O-S dot com. Hit like, open the app and you'll see the different strategies, mostly for Cosmos stuff, obviously, or all for Cosmos stuff. And then you can use DowDow and you can connect like your DAO to some kind of strategic thing. You can do this with Enterprise DAO and I believe you can do it with um, DowDow both. And that allows you to like, do some interesting things within the treasury of your DAO. Kind of a cool thing. And and Fairy King was using it as a solo DAO just for himself to be able to connect all this shit together or something. Pretty interesting. Bruce, you there? Or is your thing broken now? <laughs> I see no I don't see you talking. And your probably your desktop mic is off. You kind of muted and unmuted, but still can't hear you. Hmm. <laughs> anyway. Uh, you Are you a big fan of XRP? I have no idea what it is. So no. Oh, Bruce, you're back. I can hear you now. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. Some sort of AV experiment going on. Yeah, it's pretty sad how hard it is to get like a good setup. Like, yeah, a lot of missed opportunities. Does mine sound pretty clear? Or, or yeah, no, or yeah, it's or pretty what? good. What do you use? Just using my phone, just speakerphone. Yeah. How do you not get like echo and shit? It's because I have a, just a gigantic house. <laughs> like literally, that's the reason why. Hack. Cool. <laughs> the uh, all the rooms I'm in usually have like quite a bit of I'm I'm um, I'm kind of a fan of acoustic stuff, right? So pretty much every room that had any substantial amount of echo, I added like furniture or other shit in the room to reduce that. Um, I also made the ceilings of my house because I designed the the building myself. So I made all the ceilings kind of like have designs and bumpiness to them so that they automatically diffuse sound. So it's the uh, bouncing of the sound rather than the sound from the speaker that causes like feedback. Yeah. Well, no feedback would be is if you have speakers that are on there too loud. So if you don't have like, yeah. So you like um, the phones are already phones already have like anti-feedback destroyer mechanisms mm -hmm. in them. So it prevents that even though the mic and um, speaker are close together, they electronically destroy feedback um, versus like if you go to a stage, you know, and you have a microphone and speaker, you know how you hit that big, you know, feedback, you know, yeah. with, you know, whine. It's still pretty, so that's it's like, still pretty shitty compared to like a headset where yeah. there's no, and then reverb. Around. Yeah. Reverb in the room is more like if you have a highly reverberant room, certain shape rooms. And of course certain, um, like if you don't have that much surfaces to diffuse sound, um, the two ways to reduce reverb are diffusion and absorption. So absorption would be like, if you have like foam on your walls, 
So if you're in a small, very small room, a reasonable thing to do is to put like little foam pads. They have diffusions that you can stuff you can buy on Amazon or whatever. It looks pretty decent. You see some people use them um, like when they do YouTube channels and stuff. So having at least one wall with diffusion on it will help reduce the um, that considerably. If you use too much absorption, like you cover the floor to ceiling with absorption, well, you got a funny looking room first of all. But the second thing is the it becomes. Um, it becomes like the dead, which actually is fine if you're just operating a microphone. A dead room is not a big deal. Now, if you want to have like um, you're recording an instrument, for example, um, diffusion is much better as a way to reduce reverberation than um, than to use absorption in many ways because it keeps the liveness and the volume of the room up. But it doesn't the room doesn't sound dead. So you get a dead room if you use too much absorption. So. But the problem with diffusion is it's expensive because think about it, like you need three-dimensional surfaces and lots of them to create diffusions. That would be like furniture, couches, you know, interesting ceilings, whatever. But the more surfaces you have in your room that are diffusive, the better. If you have carpet in your room, which people tend to use a little bit more of in the West, like maybe in the U.S., that's a bit less of a problem or if you have a rug in the room. But a lot of people have like just hard floors in their room. And of course, that makes it um, like another reverberant surface on top of the four walls that are in your room. So, it, yeah, you can always like tweak a room to be better acoustically, um, especially if it's just for like a mic or for Internet usage. It's pretty easy. It doesn't take much effort. In fact, if you want to test it out, take like a comforter or something like that, like a thick blanket thing, uh, pin it to your wall and see how much effect it makes. You'll have a good sense of it. And once you have, a, have done that, you can then kind of go, OK, I'm going to buy some little something that looks nice that goes here <laughs> so there's also some like people have even created like artwork that um is almost printed onto those foam pads to make it look like a half decent um you know if you want to like spend more money to look, have it look decent you can do that as well that's wild i just want a decent sound with a gadget but you sound good now you sound perfect so i wouldn't do anything differently oh. anyway what are you up to today we have holidays here. It's like Martin Luther King. Uh, about to go to the sauna and just, uh, yeah, checking in with this mic stuff to make sure it works. Um, but yeah, just working on my Uber apps. and um, Uber apps? What is that? What do you mean? Like I have some, you know, ideas about applications and stuff. And I keep like um, iterating on them and folding them into each other. So... Just working on the next thing. In, in what, like, in what space? Like, what are they, what are they going to uh, do? The base one is like a to-do list system sort of thing, like a graph-based to-do system. Um, and, uh, yeah. And something for, like, the App Store, you mean? Like, you'd sell it? Uh, no, it would be like an online web app. Yeah, and, like, you know, apps and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, you need sort of something like this for them. Um, in order to develop software better. So if I want to make lots of software, first I need to work on something that facilitates making software. So is it like just to manage your time kind of? No, or like a workflow or something. There's like, um, if you can, there's like this method called the Mikado method, just like for software refactoring. And basically it's, um, if you consider a to-do action, it probably has dependencies that you should do first. Otherwise, you'll be blocked in some way. 
Right. So if you make those into a like a DAG, um, then you know that if you work on the leaves, then there's no blocks and you can just do them. And so you can schedule things much more intelligently. Um, and you can refactor software in this way. You can like, you know, clean your house or whatever. So basically I'm making... But you're doing this... You're doing this for like personal use or you're building it for like other people? I'm use? building it so that it's scalable to like worldwide usage, but useful enough for like personal use. So the idea, and it would could work in like multiple domains, like a, say like RuneScape or something. You can import like all the RuneScape quests and be like, what can I do now? That sort of thing. So it needs to be scalable to like thousands and millions of like mm. potential things but only show you useful ones right now for what you care about. So I've been like iterating on this for a couple of like a year or two. Interesting. Do you have to do like APIs with say the roomscape or something, or it's like more of a manual thing? Uh, you know, it's software. So yeah, you can do whatever, but to start with, I want it useful enough and good enough UX wise to use for yourself. But like now with AI and stuff, like it's really cool because you can say like you can send it a photo and then you can say extract out what needs to be done from this. And uh, it can like call functions in your app to make the changes. So, yeah, basically, like I'm just I've just been working on this sort of thing for a while. And um, now I have a bit more time because uh, of a. Uh, Day job like, like what AI did you connect to it? Um, I haven't right now, but it would probably work with GPT-4 usefully. But I don't want to use that stuff because it uh, locks you in. But like there's um, function calling open source models that basically um, you can run locally like other models. And they're tuned to be able to call functions. Like you tell them like what functions your app has and then give it, you know, a scenario or whatever and say, um, you know, transform this text somehow, and it'll transform it into function calls in your application. So you can, like, add AI to your app soon, like that, internally, without having to use external LLMs. But GBT4 can do this. Have you tried any of the, like, downloadable LLMs yet? By, by yeah, this is what I mean. Like, like, those, like Mistral yeah, and things like, like those that? Ones, those ones aren't... There's not one yet that works really well for these function calling things. But yes, in general, it works. Like um, I use one to generate like commit messages. Um, I say like, here is my code. Please say what happened here. And it generates a string like, you know, added this or deleted that. I think the problem so far with LLM based anything has been consistency. So like if it works well, one time out of four, then it's okay. <laughs> it's not that useful. <laughs> or if the output is so inconsistent that it's so unexpected by the user, then it's not as useful. Yep. I wouldn't use it for anything serious right now, apart from like personal thinking and like maybe generating stuff that you can refine yourself. Yeah, I feel like it almost has to get to a stage where... um like for each individual purpose, these things have to be tailor tailor made. I think, otherwise, like general purpose things, it's they're kind of still all over the map. 
towards util- real utility. Yeah, I agree. And you have to, I think it's like a software thing. Like in software, ideally you just have like a function that turns one data representation into another, and then you can like create anything with that little function uh, type of thing. I think the same thing needs to happen like with LLMs. Like you need to know exactly which model to use for which function and it needs to have contracts of like, uh, you know, this is what I will return so that things can be made reliable. Because it's all basically just sticking pipes together. Right now, the LLMs are really not good pipes. They just output whatever they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, I, th- I think like one of the ones I liked was, I forget what it's called, is it Luma or something? It was pr- so for people that want to build graphical assets, right? Like you can specify, I want this many polygons. I want you to build me a lamp. I want it to have a light source, you know, where the bulb is or whatever. And you can, you can describe like what you want, but the output is in a format that's recognizable by whatever app you have, like whether it's 3D Studio or, you know, like it's an Autodesk based thing or it's a SketchUp or whatever it is. Um, that's kind of cool. Um, my brother just used, um, so I don't know if you've used SketchUp before. Um, SketchUp is used to, um, <clears throat> sometimes people do like conceptual drawings with it. Like it's a fairly robust system now that you can do like architectural drawings. You could certainly build an entire house design, for example, that's buildable off of SketchUp now. Um, and what they added to it is a native plugin now that uses like, um, some sort of stable diffusion uh, type thing. And it can take the drawing of your room and fill it in with like textures and lighting and everything and just re- sort of like cheaply render. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a fake rendering in a sense. Um, but it's much, much closer now to like a useful image than, than these things used yeah, to be. Mid Journey is probably going to start doing that stuff this year as well. Like 3D stuff, 3D generation of assets and things. So. Yeah, especially like if you can specify, like, I want this to be um, compatible with SketchUp or something, and I want it to be at this scale so that when I import it into my, you know, document or, you know, into my project, it's going to be at the right, you know, it's going to look right. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think they're getting better and better. It's pretty cool. Yeah, there's going to be a shitload of content online of all sorts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah. Like the explosion in 3d assets. I mean, just imagine, right? Like it takes you just minutes to create a 3d asset now of anything you choose. That's just crazy. And the fact that you can like shade them and light them after the fact in any other way you want, put whatever color palette you want on it. Once you've brought it in, it's just crazy how quick, like, I think the production of movies and um, all sorts of other 3d productions like, I don't know that I've seen suggestions from that the time it takes to produce special effects for movies and things could drop by like 80%, which is believable if you see what these things can do. Um, but impressive. I think way more Never. because I like movies are huge, like undertakings. And you could right now, like you don't even need more than one actor, even like it's. Yeah, like <laughs> movies literally take like thousands of people to make. Yeah, one in oh, person. Many thousands. And, yeah. yeah, look at look at the look at the um, the credits list for the effects people now on a on a pretty big big budget movie. Yeah. But imagine like here you are now you're drawing like assets and 
you can just ask for the assets you want. You're like, draw me a, you know, a retro looking light bulb or something, and it'll create like five of them. You pick the one yeah. you like. I mean, you don't need to go to, and then, you, don't need you, know. to, you don't need to like write the screenplay or get someone to see it or get the studio to give anyone money or like any of that stuff. Someone in like a garage with like, with like mocap equipment or whatever, or just cameras will be able to like make a whole movie and a computer. I wonder as the like quantity of like video content goes up, like it seems like there's a threshold after which people aren't willing to spend more time watching this shit, right? Because like even streaming services and TV and whatever, they probably reached a point after which users have been saturated in terms of their their exposure to these things. Um, do you think like the the trend is going to be that people are going to spend even more time in virtual space? Like than they did before, or do you think there's like a threshold level where people are like fuck this? I'm not going to spend any more time doing this. I, like, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think both because yeah, people will probably people will be tired of like mixed ones, and mm-hmm. so we'll have like um just like crazy VR stuff that they do, <laughs> and then um like actual in person things. And then anything that is like in between is like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who are into it, of course, like the vast majority, but just like a bell curve sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's going to always be like, yeah, people that are less or more into these things. But I think there's descriptions that like full 3D um, rendered worlds you know, like Minecraft level kind of speed, you know, where you just generate a 3D world and with all sorts of assets inside of it, that's going to be um, like almost real time. I think within a few years is what th- is the description I've, I've seen. I'm not sure if that's accurate or not, but it's probably about right. It seems like it's, things are moving that fast. Yeah. And probably it's going to be majority like mixed reality stuff because I think um, the virtual reality stuff is probably going to be for losers still. So, and then mixed reality, you can like have ads and things more easily. <laughs> you know, if you walk around and stuff, and then uh, there's like virtual ads in places, I'm sure people will invest in that. Um, so, yeah, because right now, like, you. Do you think the most bullish thing is like Facebook's glasses then? Yeah. Like more than augmented reality. It actually looks pretty. Like, yeah, it looks pretty like a pretty good move that they've done, like making it open and stuff. Um, and yeah, it seems to be actually doable. Like you can just I haven't tried them, but with MetaQuest 3 or whatever, you can wear them and walk around and, um, you know, that's like a safe thing. And I'm not talking about the, the VR goggles. I'm talking about the oh, glasses. The glasses. You know, yeah, yeah. And that's cool. even like cool the AR, whatever, the AR but stuff. like, um. Mm-hmm. With the MetaQuest 3 or whatever, like apart from you know the fact that you're wearing this headset or whatever, you can actually just walk around outside and have replace arbitrary stuff in your field with stuff running locally. So you can have like ad blockers in real life wearing these MetaQuest 3 things. It would seem like now that it's possible to create digital assets much faster with... Um... Like, so some of the problems with AR, say, say, for example, you go to a fashion site 
and you know you're wanting to check out a dress and a person or whatever and um <clears throat> someone's like looking at their shopping cart and they want to know what this looks like on them and so you've got like a 3d model of yourself and it shows you where the pants you know fit and where they don't fit and whatever what's interesting is before it used to actually take quite a lot of work to create the digital asset for let's say a, sh a shirt or a piece of clothing to the point where i mean that's a whole nother section of you have to have a whole department building this out where you know really really high-end departments like burberry or somebody you know they might be able to do all this and spend the time and effort but fashion otherwise is so fast that like you know there's not enough time or doesn't make any sense to do this at any extensive length i would think though with the the ability to create digital assets um like clothing and whatnot becoming better and better you know it would make perfect sense that you would just basically 3d scan yourself and you'd pick this shirt and it's going to show it on your body it's going to tell you whether it fits or not with a high degree of certainty um and getting those digital assets into the actual databases that are needed to make this all work should be made much much easier by um diffusion systems that actually create the asset from the real take it takes the real asset turns it into the the digital one and you can um, basically that do seems that. like yeah. it's going to really accelerate you can do it now like, but it's uh, like i think it's going to happen much more commonly right like yeah you can definitely do that now like people have done it but my point is like if you go to the average online store today you're not getting yeah yeah for sure right but in terms of like um for movies and games and stuff like a lot of the time the way they put assets into them now is literally just scan like light field scanning them and rendering them in game so it's not like like a lot of stuff professionally has already been replaced in this way so yeah just like a there's no consumer devices that yeah they spend, it, i think modern the iPhones. game that spends a lot of money on that is gt um grand theft not grand theft auto um gran turismo play, spends a lot of money on that process taking like the real car and bringing it into the game i don't know how many like i don't know where they stop doing that kind of thing and just go straight diffusion models to build up all the assets at some point probably that comes out yeah i mean they're going to be trained on those ones anyway so that's why we can do the 3d ones I mean, I would imagine there comes out of such there comes at a point where maybe every product um, is not just you know how right now like every tech or every company has like mm, a mobile presence you know they have like uh, a, a smartphone optimized website for example but in the future it does make sense that every product like let's say a tire company um, instead of like uh, Gran Turismo um, scanning in a tire into their ecosystem they would basically just have the models for all the tires that just come right off the actual company website. And those assets can be used for movies. They can be used for anything at that point, which kind of helps like market their tire to some extent because the people that don't have it in a digital format, um, video games and movies or whatever, metaverse, whatever it is, like they have a harder time implementing it. So they'll do less of it. <laughs> so it seems like that's that trend will come where everyone has their products, physical products sold like, you know, or, or on the website, similar to how like they do this now with uh, like, for example, faucets and home things. Like if you're a faucet company, you can oftentimes like like a Kohler or a Moen or something like that. You can go to their website and download the 3D file 
um, so that you can import it into like uh, Autodesk Revit, Autodesk um, AutoCAD, or or like SketchUp, and you can import it right in, and then just paste it into your house model, right, or into your architectural model. So there's a there's an element of that already happening, but I think that probably will accelerate to all products at some point, um, to the extent that that's profitable to do so. But I don't, I don't know how much and how fast and easy it is to actually bring that in. Because right now, I think like it costs too much. You have to have a special computer guy, whatever, right? You, there's just too much like labor involved with doing it so far. And I think that seems to be like a trend that's likely to continue where the labor costs of bringing those assets in are going to go, go down a lot. And like you said, the pipes are a lot better. So like, you know, the the assets being created are much more interchangeable or whatever, right? Yeah. And these, you know, different sorts of pipes and verticals for companies and things. But yeah, it's interesting. Um, a lot more like, because yeah, it doesn't cost much to give people 3D models because all this stuff already is probably made with a 3D model internally somehow anyway. So they can just make, slap a new vertical on it and sell some IP or whatever. Um, Especially when it becomes like even more um standardized like take for example you know you're building an object and it has standard size screws and standard size bolts and whatnot so you go to the home you know the home goods store and you know how they'll, they'll have like a home depot or whatever i don't know what they have in your country but like you'll you have like you'll have uh, all these different uh, items but imagine all the different screws and parts and things that are very commonly used are all already in a database so like those things are actually not just diffusion models. Those are actual models. And the, whether it's mid journey or any other system can just access and bring those in to, you know, when it creates an object, it's literally creating an object that could be built, right? You can go straight to the foundry and build it. That's kind of cool, right? Like <laughs> it's uh, with, so, so the items that are being created aren't just like random nonsense. Um, they're at the appropriate scale. So like if mid journey is creating a 3d model of like a, a room, you know, the sink faucet is the right scale compared to the countertop compared to the sink compared to the windows and everything else. So it's, it's able to scale everything correctly and build these things with the right screws and parts and just like have everything just magically appear into a design. <laughs> I'm almost sure that's going to happen, you know? So like eventually like a cabinet designer, would simply have all the standard parts that, that you would use for building a cabinet, the various thicknesses of the wood and maybe the veneers or whatever the hell, all in sort of like a database and just boom, the computer just generates one for you within seconds that fits with whatever room you're, you're in. But yeah, there's, there seems like a huge amount of like uh, labor savings that's about to happen. Yeah, we already have that in the CAD world. So what do you, what do you use now? I use SolidWorks for doing all my design stuff. It's kind of a more elaborate surfacing type. Like, yeah, what kind of what kind of stuff do you build uh, using CAD? All types of stuff. So I do composite work. So it's usually like aerospace components or okay, uh, yeah, really anything. Um, but yeah, like all the all the bolts and all that other stuff. You can go to like McMastercard, which is kind of like a Home Depot for military goods and all types of other stuff and you can grab a bolt grab the file and dump it straight into your cad and connect everything 
So that's kind of already integrated. Yeah. So yeah, all of that's becoming integrated already. Yeah. Same thing like Autodesk has, I don't know if you've used Revit, R-E-V-I-T. It's the architecture package that Autodesk has created. It's become the architecture standard now. You can build entire buildings and all the systems inside of it. So a lot of companies are... They're Autodesk, which is the new version yeah. of AutoCAD. But it's, yep, yep. Yeah, it's... Yeah, Autodesk, Autodesk is like... Uh, their stock has done well, too, because all these things are getting better and better. Yeah, so the their version, the uh, Fusion 3D, is really good for people that want to get into doing, like, CAD modeling and, you know, people that do, like, 3D printing and some of that stuff. Because it's a very inexpensive software. You can buy it on like a monthly fee, kind of like a Microsoft type thing. Whereas like SolidWorks for a license of SolidWorks, it's like eight grand. And then the version or the the step up from SolidWorks is like Katia and um, what's the other one? It used to be called Ideas. I can't remember what it's called now. Creator. Yeah, it's like it depends on how much you need and how much money you want to spend. Yeah, pretty and much. a lot of those have they have these. So it's it's really cool. They have all this other integrated stuff where if you need to do like finite analysis on that part that you're designing, you can do that all within the software. And then the higher up software programs have more surfacing features where that's one of the hardest parts with with. 3D mm-hmm. modeling is the, the the surfacing gets all out of whack on some different programs. So like Katia, that's like a fifteen to twenty thousand dollar program, maybe even more, and it's the best surfacing you can get. So that's where like aerospace, they'll use all of those, and then you can export out those files and open them into any other. So it used to be that you couldn't export from one type from like a Katia file to a SolidWorks file. But now you can export mm-hmm. like step files and parasolids. And so you can just export them and open them in any other software. And then like the CAM software for machining, that pulls your model straight in and you can desi- you can set up your G code to machine just right off of that. So it's it's yeah. pretty well integrated across the entire manufacturing spectrum what's a surface yeah, like, is that like how a surface is described yeah so so when you're modeling up and creating surface geometry it can get really crazy when you're in in that 3d realm it's actually very very difficult and so some some softwares can't process you're talking about like you're talking about like to get for example like the surface of a golf ball or something yeah i mean that's a little bit easier than say like the contours of a aerospace wing right to get the right loss right like like the blade of a of a aerospace engine right they have it set so perfectly Mm -hmm. that it reduces volume and it has so many contours and you know when you create those contour geometry like that it gets uh, it's a lot of processing for the programs and some of them just can't handle that if that makes sense yeah 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 for sure another thing like video games that would be like optimized for like less polygons or whatever exactly yeah yeah. exactly back back in like 29 so our our design for a building that we produced was like in 2019 and um I needed some 3D renderings of the 
building, you know, it's different to have like a three dimensional model. Another thing to like actually create renderings and lighting and everything just for like, uh, marketing purposes and whatever we had to like create something so i had it sent to some company they did some work they spent you know they charged a few that you know a few thousand bucks for it and gave me a bunch of renderings um but now it's like and that's with like sketchup for example now using sketchup they've incorporated um uh they've incorporated essentially like a stable diffusion type of a system in there and if you don't need like photorealistic renderings you need just pretty good you know how these things go it's like now you can just pump out pretty good renderings um pretty much one after the other until you find one that you like <laughs> like it's pretty decent and um and they're getting better and better to the where like rendering people um they're gonna have a lot less work to do for sure um just to create like a pretty picture you know after your off your data yeah mine so i can take a like a high resolution picture of a texture or something and i can import that texture straight into i think it's called photo 3d or something within it's built into the solidworks and then i can imprint that onto the entire surface of whatever i'm designing and then i can change the lighting of it and do all the rendering and make it look is very very realistic which i always find fun to do you know it's i do it just because i think it looks good Whereas most people in the world that I work in, they just use like different colored objects so everyone can see the difference. But I try to make everything look as realistic as it's going to look. Yeah, I think it just dep- it depends on what you're trying to achieve, of course. Like sometimes like, yeah, just simply be able to do the work. You just want to see what what's what. And then other times you want to make it look really cool. <laughs> it just depends. Who, who is looking well, at I just it? Like doing it cause I like to, I like to see what it's going to look like for myself. And then I get excited about what I'm doing. And then. Yeah. I, I feel the same else. way. I, I feel <laughs> like it's like hits the dopamine receptors when you see your building created in like 3d, like, and it looks real. You're like, Ooh, that looks pretty good. You know, or, Oh, that doesn't look right. It, you know, yep. it's easier to exactly. judge, judge the visual qualities of something. Well, and it's so fun when you actually go and build the part. And it looks exactly how your rendering was. And then it's just like a full flow through that just feels good. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like a, it's like a, it's some sort of dopamine hit for sure. That comes from it. It's weird. Um, I felt like over the many years as like um, just 3d systems on computers got better over the last 30 years. I just feel like as time went on, um, all that stuff just became cooler and cooler, cooler to look at. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, there's something about like representing reality on a screen and um, like almost like it's not quite an object you can touch, but almost um, there's something magical about that. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. I've always loved this sort of thing. My dad was a, a printer when we were growing up. So he had a print shop and um, as a result, like we'd get all of the earliest sort of like desktop publishing level computers. Like when I was a kid, so like, you know, probably had like access to play with more expensive computers when I was a kid than probably like almost everybody on the planet at the time. So I got into this stuff really, really early, which is kind of into tech stuff, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I've always been a nerd about this sort of thing at, at one level or the other. <laughs> nice. I'm going to tell you something. something. When the world starts to get really bad, 
and these mugs out here robbing, you gonna love digital currency. All these motherfuckers, they be running and gunning, and I'm all like, I'm sitting back just having fun in the sun, and then I'm like one out of a hundred, I'm just building up on it to some of everything we built during the last hundred upsets, you're getting salty, feeling faulty, you ain't no man, I keep robo here, grinning ear to ear, throwing up anarchy, smoking toiletries, spitting philosophies, look at the dossier, we rack like geology, there's layers to this shit, like it's sedimentary, all these little onion peels getting torn off and buried, imagine the smell, that shit is a vital experience, without knowing how you will not survive, period. Uh, he's a fucking trip, man. Jimmy, if you Jimmy, if you listen to this, right, you're getting absolutely fucking ripped to death, like on a spaces of a life, you little troglodyte bastard. I hope you fucking listen, I hope you come to my house soon. I swear to God, man, I've got fucking loads of weapons on my dogs, man. Mate, you just a little laugh, man. Go on, fuck off, man. Do one. Fuck off. Harmony. Me and the other one, do you looking for a fucking job? You fucking idiot. You've just been fucking at my death. Fuck off. Try to change the course of the portion philosophy I'm just here for the corporation sponsor lobotomy Feels like I won the lottery Like I'm ghosting this pottery Chill, Demi Boy, the shit's supposed to be haunting If it wasn't, ain't no puzzle You would try to train your muscle Air dropping like a fatal hustle But the pay is buzzing Think of all the loss of crew Just to pick up what the truth Because I'm not figured All those sub downs would make up for something I guess it just goes to show The fuck do I know? At least it's quiet over here I like my little silo It's better than watching them fight over How to divide my time between Sitting at the desk and the ride home Devs at Mickey D's, they leeching off that Wi-Fi Zapdos and Moldy shipping more than five guys Console open, waiting for the kamikaze When the flash loans bang, they feeling like paparazzi Snapshot motherfuckers We got layers, meteor, a jawbreaker We cracking a lot of craters We wrapping a lot of pay dirt Maxing out relayers Imagine the smell, five dollar wrench to your Darth Vader It's, it's really funny uh, to us at Binance That everyone here is talking about uh, blockchain attack. We know who all the validators are. We know, we know where, where they live. And we're, and we're going to their house. And we're going with a range. To their big range. And we will attack them at the range. And then we will take their validator home physically and put it in a truck and drive it to China. Right, so this is an extension of the, the activities you performed on, on BTC, right? Uh, funding and creating these massive uh, Bitcoin mines, putting them in caves, putting them in, in uh, factories that were abandoned in the past, and also using electromagnetic pulse bombs to detonate uh, the USA and the other country mines, right? So you're now applying this strategy to, to Lunk uh, in order to take over the chain, is that correct? Uh, it's more simple. There's no uh, EMP bomb. It's just a van of men in uh, Balaclava, and they have wrench, and they're taking the physical validators from people's houses. They are usually very fat and they're usually uh, in the shower with, you know, with trying to wash uh, their mice uh, droppings off their uh, clothes. So it's very simple. We just walk in and we take it. But if there is someone who is sitting at the computer or sleeping at the computer, we, uh, we hit them with the wrench really, really hard. And then they say, stop, don't do that again. And we say, that's okay. Just give us your validator note, and then they give it to us, and we drive it to China. Channel Spaces.